It's a little wobbly. Come <laughs> on, everybody. Are we ready? Wait for Jim. We got four, five. We're good. Quorum. We got a quorum. Rock and roll. Kurt, are we ready? Yep. Your show. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. My gosh, we have a full house tonight. Um, <laughs> to the uh, November 1st Aviation Advisory Board meeting for Lawrence Regional Airport. I'm Clancy Maloney, your chair, and I will turn it over to Scott right now to give the usual um, rules and regs. Good evening, my name is Scott Wagner. I'm the Lawrence Airport Manager. Welcome to the November 1st meeting of the Aviation Advisory Board, and I just have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. City staff and Aviation oh, Board- run, there's no sound. Kurt, do I need to do anything? Yeah, I'm muted if I Scott, you guys are muted if you can hear us. How about now? There we go. All right, I'll start over. <laughs> Good evening. My name is Scott Wagner. I'm the Lawrence Airport Manager. Welcome to the November 1st meeting of the Aviation Advisory Board. I just have a few housekeeping <laughs> items for this hybrid meeting. City staff and aviation board members will be in person at City Hall. Virtual participation is allowed for any participant, including staff and the public. Live public comment can be made in person or at City Hall or virtually using the Zoom link. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. If you're on Zoom, please remember to mute yourself during the meeting. When you are not speaking, the chat function for this public meeting is disabled and all chats will go directly to me. When the chair calls for in-person public comment, individuals should indicate if they wish to speak and staff will direct you to the podium. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate that they wish to speak. Please state your name before speaking and comments will be limited to three minutes. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distraction during the meeting. And now I'll turn it back over to our board chair, Clancy Maloney. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> if anybody up there has an unmuted mic on Zoom, please mute it because that's the feedback we're here for. Okay. Okay. I think yours is unmuted. I'm un. I'm un. If you need to mute. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I got I Yeah, please do not unmute the Zoom mic and you're on. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, first item of business is to receive the draft yeah, minutes. Yeah, no sound on Zoom again. Kurt, do I need to keep this one unmuted? Yeah, okay. that way people out there can hear. Okay. We're good. <laughs> you think we'd have this down by now. <laughs> okay, I'll start again. First order of business is the minutes from the August 2nd meeting. Um, does anybody have any corrections or updates? Board member Gardner moved to approve the, me the uh, meeting minutes. Okay. Of August 2nd. Do I have a second? Board member Coleman will second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. No. Okay, the motion carries. And I have a motion from the chair um, to alter the agenda today. And I will read it to you. I've uh, talked with, or I've at least alerted the board and both of the uh, entities involved with this. 
Um, the chair moves to reschedule agenda items D5 and D6 to separate single topic special meetings. And um, I will need a second on that at some point and any discussion. So discussion, separate meetings since they could be uh, competitive. How about one meeting followed by another, followed by a third that allows us to ask questions about both in the same uh, third session with both parties? Any other comment? I think I that think. makes good sense, yeah. Um, Carrie? I was going to ask if you had a timeline that you were thinking about. As soon as possible okay. <laughs> is what, the, what we'd like to do. David, do you have anything that you want to add? Not at this time, no. Okay. Well, how would you like to proceed, <laughs> Greg? Well, do I modify that motion? or? Uh, I think you'd have to, but okay. I think we probably need to hear we're, that's going to be presented to us. Right. We can discuss it at that time and or at our next regular meeting also. So okay. I think it's going to take a while to get through both of those uh, sets of proposals. I, I would think so. We could ask questions for each one, but if there are things that cross over or, or, or uh, are conflicting, um, you might need to listen to both to be able to ask questions to both at a regular meeting. We can always add another meeting. Okay. So um, could we start with this? Sure. Is that okay? In that case, I'll second the motion. Okay. Um, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Unanimous. Um, Scott, let's you and I try to figure out when this room is available. And um, maybe after the meeting today, we can figure out when we might be able, if everybody has their calendar, we can figure out when we can get this done as soon as we can. Okay. Okay, uh, let's moving on to the uh, staff items. Um, I think Ms. you're public comment. Oh, I'm sorry. I always forget that. Public comment. Is there any? Richard. Uh, Richard Hague. Um, the one thing I'd like to address is a lot of things happening at the airport that should be out in public, should be in front of the city commission that are not being brought in front of the city commission. Back in 21, when the Lifestar hangar was put up for sale, it did not ever go to this board or to the city commission for the sale of the property. It was told to the aviation advisory board the property was to be sold because the city did not want to maintain it anymore and started going out for an RFP. The problem with the RFP was there was absolutely no accommodations in that RFP for our Lifestar operation. So the hangar was going to be sold out from under Lifestar. The way that all happened fell apart. The RFP was declared invalid and then um, Lifestar was allowed to lease the hangar. The city still owns it. At that same time that that appraisal was being done on the Lifestar hangar, an appraisal was being done on the community hangar to sell it as well. That was immediately stopped by the city's legal department. Fast forward to this year, it once again has been put up for sale 
course, so they, they tell me it's not. But on June 5th of this year, Ron All was hired by Scott Wagner to do an appraisal for the sale of the community hangar. The city commission has never been made notice of this, and nobody else has either. But those documents exist. The, the appraisal is out there. And when things like this happen, they need to be in front of the whole community. They need to be brought in front of the city commission. And as the board does things and proceeds with things, that question needs to be asked. Is where we are now, should this have been brought in front of another board? Should this have been in front of the city commission? Before we sell a community hangar that was bought with federal grant money, has grant assurances tied to it, and contracts tied to it, should this not be put into a meeting officially before we start offering it and getting appraisals done on that hangar. And so I, I ask the board as you look at things, look at it as in you're gonna present this to the city commission. You're gonna to have to justify what we do, whether it's a large contract for, for a master plan or whether it's other things. Did we vet these people or were they vetted properly? Is the negotiations for the price appropriate? And just is the whole procedure there? And I just encourage you guys to look for that and for things to be more open than they are now. Bring them out in the open before they start creating issues. Thank you, Richard. Okay, any others? Okay, Mr. Wagner. Thank you, Clancy. Uh, I think just a couple thank yous on my behalf before I get started on uh, my airport manager's report. I, I especially want to thank the chair, Clancy Maloney, for her time and dedication uh, since our last aviation board meeting back in August. It seems like it was just yesterday that we met here, but boy, has a lot happened, and Clancy and our vice chair, Chris Coleman, have put in a lot of time and effort between meetings, uh, especially with all the work that the boards and structures re, uh, structuring committee has been doing. Clancy spent a lot of time preparing for that meeting in September and again in October. Um, she and I and Vice Chair Coleman have met several times between meetings and I just wanna thank especially you two for all the time and work you've put in be between meetings and I'll get started on my report. Uh, and there's Jim, welcome. Um, I'm just gonna highlight a few things here because um, we've got a packed agenda tonight, so I'm not gonna go over all the details of uh, my report. Let me pull that up. Um, let's see, I have a highlighted version here. Uh, the Four States Conference, I was uh, super happy that our board members, uh, Greg Gardner and Kerry Gooch, were able to attend this year. Um, I thought the presentations were excellent uh, at Four States, uh, even better than the past couple years that I've attended. And I did attach several of the presentations that were made, and I wanted to highlight uh, at least one of them that stood out in my mind. It was a presentation by Jeff Dietering, who is a Lawrence resident and also a FAA Central Region planner, that he uh, gave on agricultural spraying operations at airports. And that presentation was joined by a couple ag sprayers as well. And that kind of caused me to take a, a look at our airport's adopted minimum standards and currently we don't address that uh, in our minimum standards and I think that's something to look at so um, I have reached out already to the aviation management consulting group that we've been using the past few months to have them take a look at updating our minimum standards and get those to you guys for some changes on agricultural operations because I, I think that's uh, something that's missing I wanted to highlight 
Uh, the bipartisan infrastructure legislation, if you recall, we obtained a grant uh, about a year ago to renovate our terminal, and that project has an update on tonight's agenda as well. Last year, about this time, we applied for a, a second round of funding to fund the improvements to our long-term parking area and our airport access road, which we had designed with the first round of, of grant funding, but we weren't able to get that second round of funds. Uh, the third round opened up uh, here this fall and we submitted uh, yet again on October 2nd. So I'm hopeful that we can continue to uh, make those improvements because we've already got uh, that project designed and it'd be great to get uh, the requested uh, third round of funds in the amount of roughly the same amount as the first round, about of a million dollars. But um, Later in our agenda, we'll also talk about the KAIP, the Kansas Airport Improvement Grant, and we applied for uh, some funding under that program to also expand our long-term parking area. Um, I wanted to highlight a third quarter budget adjustment to the airport budget. If you recall, I think I reported on earlier this year that we will able to secure some funds from Southern Star Gas Company for their installation of a high pressure gas main across the airport. We shifted some of those funds to uh, obtain new airport uh, furniture and I just got uh, a proof PO uh, this week. So with the terminal project, we'll have some new furniture here soon, hopefully by the end of the year. And I also want to report that we were able to uh, shift some funds to the monument sign that's long been discussed uh, out at Airport Road and the, the design for that was originally drawn up by Gary Fish a long time ago and presented and approved by the Aviation Board. So I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, I think Kyle uh, has a PO maybe uh, in the works. I saw Kyle, yeah, uh, on that. So we hope to have a new monument sign out at uh, Highway 2440 here soon. I did post that uh, city staff kind of engaged with our planning staff on the wind turbine regulations because it, it uh, had some um, language in it regarding uh, the airport. And if you followed the paper, there was a big turnout at uh, that meeting last week here in this room, I believe. Not much larger than tonight. And I think that meeting lasted till, till midnight, so we don't, don't plan to go that long tonight. Uh, a couple of highlights. I think it was about a year ago, reported uh, that we were working on an airport um, sanitary sewer study. I think a draft of that uh, has been prepared and we hope to present more information on uh, that uh, in the spring uh, when we have that data. And um, you know, that report will tell us how to convert that existing holding tank out at the airport into a sanitary sewer pump station and how to build out sanitary sewer to um, that side of the airport uh, to connect to that uh, new pump station and hopefully some data on when the flows will require that to be done. Um, I think I'd highlighted this year that I've been serving on this uh, Kansas Airport Joint Task Force and that was really coming out of the past Kansas legislative session where our association, the Kansas Association of Airports had really lobbied for an increase in KIP funds. Kind of the compromise that our association came with to KDOT, especially KDOT Aviation, was to form a task force to make some recommendations to the KDOT secretary. That report was wrapped up uh, a couple weeks ago, and that initial report was made to the secretary, uh, and it highlights really the, the gaping needs in, in funding a, aviation uh, statewide. 
our association had some concerns because the KDOT uh, aviation director left at the beginning of uh, October and he was really a driving force behind that report. So. Myself and the Vice President of the Association met today uh, over in Topeka with the acting uh, KDOT Aviation Secretary um, Davis. He is in the Multimoto Division of KDOT Aviation. We also met with the acting Deputy Directy, Director of uh, KDOT Aviation, Courtney Smith. They seem um, you know, convinced that the momentum of this uh, task force report is going to continue. Um, and carry forward, especially into the next legislative session. So I'm hopeful that um, we'll be able to secure, hopefully, increased funding to, to that program, uh, hopefully with a, a legislative enactment to that statute in the next session. But our association is continuing to, to work on that. If you came in early uh, as part of that task force, um, KDOT Aviation put together cool YouTube videos on a lot of Kansas airports that shows their flight data, and I had that up and running, but that's on my report. It's out there on the internet. If you, It's also posted to our airport website. If you click on that, it shows all the flight data in and out uh, just from the filed flight plans at Lawrence Airport for 2022. I attended along with uh, others from our department, uh, Municipal Services and Operations, the KDOT local consult meetings a couple weeks ago over in Lenexa. I'm happy to, to say that MSO uh, had uh, a nice slide or two on uh, aviation needs at our airport, and I was happy to hear that the KDOT secretary actually spent a couple minutes talking about aviation versus roads and bridges and uh, pedestrian projects at, at that meeting. So it's a hopeful sign that at the highest level of, of KDOT, at the, the secretary's level, they've, they've gotten the message that aviation needs more, needs more funding in the state. Just a couple other things, uh, and then I'll get back to our regular agenda. I think I skipped over it here. Um, I wanted to also let you know that the city of Lawrence did respond to the RFP that the Kansas Association Airports put out regarding conference host sites uh, for the next few years, and we are uh, in the running to host uh, Kansas Association Association Airports meeting uh, in the next probably two to three years. Uh, we received several proposals in, and we'll have that uh, meeting hopefully in Lawrence in the next uh, couple years. So I want to thank our uh, Chamber of Commerce. Tiffany was uh, super helpful in, in the Explore Lawrence staff in getting that proposal put together. Probably the final thing I want to highlight is city staff a couple weeks ago met with our uh, local planning staff in terms of how do we make development at the airport easier, hopefully, in the long run. And just a highlight of that meeting is on my uh, report today. We are going to work uh, and contract with uh, PEC, which is uh, Professional Engineering uh, Consultants, that has an on-call contract with the City of Lawrence to engage them in a replatting of the airport. We think that uh, platting the airport into probably one large lot will help with hopefully streamlining development projects and so that you don't have to go through an entire, you know, replat and um, 
that whole subdivision process through our planning and development uh, code in order to make a project happen at our airport. You'll probably just have to site plan uh, moving forward. And you know, if we receive some some of these projects from Eurotech or Dream Air uh, in the next month or so, you know, we can move either concurrently or at the same time uh, with those efforts. We certainly aren't going to hold anybody's project back uh, with what city staff and, and PEC will be doing. But we think this would be an effort to uh, hopefully uh, make development a little bit easier and also address some other cleanup items, as I mentioned here um, in my report, that uh, needs to happen. And finally, a couple weeks ago, Kyle and I met with uh, planning staff and their consultant Clarion that's doing a complete overhaul of the development code. And they're gonna take a look at um, the, the city and our Chapter 20 of the code has zoning regulations regarding the airport, and they're going to take a closer look at that, and we'll ask Garver to weigh in on any helpful changes that may be needed uh, with the development code. So I think that's it, Clancy. I'll be happy to, to take any questions. Great. Board, board Member Gardner, a couple of questions and comments. On the bipartisan uh, infrastructure legislation, I saw that you'd made three applications so good for the perseverance you have any idea when you're going to hear back on that third round it will probably be in the spring i'd have to go back and look at the nofo uh, the notice of funding opportunity for that but um i, I believe it said award announcements would be and then jason maybe knows here from garver yeah okay but in between now and spring um you know i, I I will be reaching out to our federal legislative delegation because they've been more than helpful in asking how they can help us with funding requests. The second is the uh, airport sanitary sewer study. Does it think forward about Dream and Eurotech and more expansion at the airport? So will it with will it have the capacity built into its solution to handle growth at the airport? I'll probably ask Kyle to, to speak about that. Kyle Gontritz is an engineer that's been working on a lot of airport projects the last couple of years, and I, I'm, I'm sad to say that he'll probably be moving on and upwards within our department as he's taking over the stormwater management division. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Kyle, for all your service uh, at the airport. Working on the airport stuff. And the answer to your question is yes. That's the, really the reason that the thing that triggered the study is all the proposed development. Okay. So that, awesome. that's to accommodate that development and more. Thanks very much. And um, also, uh, the Kansas Association of Airports elected our director here uh, to be its new president. So he's making things happen and some positive things for Lawrence. So congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Greg. I did want to, I, I attended the Four States Conference, and one of the things that that I attended that uh, you or you didn't attend had to do with tracking a tracking system. And I really think that's worthwhile. Um, the thing that you showed that has the flight plan stuff, it does that same thing only in much more detail so that um, when we start to think about um, what's the economic impact of the airport, it can tell you when people are staying overnight and how long they're staying. Um, and 
we could figure out a much closer idea, a much larger impact that the airport actually has if we did, if we spent the money on that. So that's a recommendation for the future. And I can give you more information. Well, I can give you an update on that if you like. Okay. Uh, we had a meeting with that consultant last week. They showed us their economic impact model and our department director over here, Melissa Sieben, I believe has that contract to uh, get that work done at our airport. Awesome. Yes. Wonderful. All right. It's a great That's product, and yeah. we look forward to getting that data. It, it's unique data uh, that we can collect for all flight operations uh, at our airport. That will be super helpful. Oh, awesome. Do you know the counts VFR and IFR? It takes no. every landing and takeoff and tracks the airplanes from origin to here and back and how long. It, it identifies all of the regular people that are on the airport so that it doesn't count them as overnighters. It does a lot of things that we can make economic in impact calculations from and show how much more the airport's actually bringing to, cool. to Lawrence. I believe it does, Jim. They, they kind of track transponders uh, in aircraft. Yeah, it uses that automatic dependent system broadcast to That's what I was identify it. They'll install a sensor at our airport and track all activity. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it wasn't very expensive either. No, it, it was, I thought, most reasonable proposal. Yeah. So anyway, um, last, and it actually related to Rich Haig, and I think the transparency is really, really important uh, in boards, in cities. And so I appreciate the comments, and as far as I'm concerned as a board member, I'll try to make everything as transparent as possible. Thank you, Scott. Yep. Okay, any, any other, other questions? Ask one question. I was just going to ask on that. The sewer system, when they're adding it, are they expanding it so it'll benefit more of North Lawrence as well, or is it just going to go to the airport? It's going to go through the airport to the existing sewer in, in North Lawrence. Okay. Other Sports. sewer improvements in North Lawrence would be separate projects. Okay. It'll be, it actually, I'll tell you a little more. It'd be a pretty small force main, and it has to be pretty small uh, because of the amount of, uh, it has to get through there pretty quickly. Um, like a larger force main would, uh, would have problems. Uh, it would take weeks. Uh, to, to transmit that distance. So it, it'd be a small force main, but with the, the tank and a small force main, then we wouldn't have to pump out the, the holding tank as often. Would, would it allow for expansion from North Lawrence? Because I think that was one of the hesitations when it was originally started. No, just, just the airport. Okay. This is Ron on that sewer project. Uh, I thought I heard something about linking up other, does that mean that we're looking at linking up the the, uh, east, the west side of the airport to the sewer system as well, or is that going to stay on uh, septics the way they are now? We're looking at that as an option with the study. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, next, 
Agenda items, terminal construction progress report. Who's doing that, Scott? Uh, I have that. Uh, CMT was our engineer uh, for that project. We've typically had Andy Bodine come. Uh, Andy uh, left CMT kind of as his project was close to getting started, and we've been working, Kyle and I, with uh, Tyler Horn and Wade uh, Compton, who were both involved with the project, and they've done a great job. And um, let me get this document up. They did provide uh, the update document. Um, yeah, so just some highlights. Uh, basically, we're at, we're at the punch list stage of this project. It's really gone well and um, been timely. All the uh, project deadlines have been met uh, so far by First Construction, and they've done a great job with it. Uh, the project started uh, kind of right after the 4th of July. Uh, Wade included uh, some highlights from the first phases of construction, which uh, remodeled some of the parking area right in front of the terminal and around the uh, airport terminal sign. And that was kind of the first phase of the project. We've got some highlights there. And, you know, if you've been out to the airport lately, you'll notice that, you know, we were able to add quite a few parking spots with the reconfiguration of the, the circle parking uh, in that area. Put down some new base. We attempted with this project to address a lot of the grade drainage issues we were having, especially around the terminal. As far as the punch list items, we still are waiting on uh, final, that final uh, coat of asphalt, and we'll get down to kind of the, the last ticketed items here in a second. Um, a temporary occupancy permit was issued at the first of this month, so that basically means uh, you know the the project is complete. We've been working with Lloyd staff. Uh, some of Lloyd staff should be hired as project inspectors, I think, for the city because <laughs> they did a good job of uh, pointing out a, a few things that needed to be accomplished uh, yet. And we're just down to some punch list items, so I'm kind of waiting uh, to hear from our. Uh, consultants kind of uh, the final timeline but everything should be completed within uh, the last 30 days there was kind of a, a backlog in terms of getting the new skylights for um, the terminal they just put back the old ones right now so if you've been out there and, and looked up you probably wondered what why those look so bad but we're still waiting on those uh, the new access door um, to the canteen area and the new restroom we constructed last year has been installed it has a key code on it I know we've got some questions about that we'll be getting that uh, information out to pilots that need that information and posting that um, with kind of the final punch list we'll get that done uh, some pictures from the inside again it was just some great updates to that 1980s finish that was uh, inside the terminal and if you haven't been out there it looks great and it'll look really great once we get some some new furniture here in the next month or so um, you know, remove some of the kind of the faux finishes uh, there, new carpet, uh, new paint, uh, ADA door openers, um, new lighting in the uh, canteen area, new tiles, roof tiles in the canteen and in the pilot's lounge. And this here is the new door uh, leading out to the terminal lobby that we'll be able to lock after hours to provide that access to the, the bathroom in the, in the canteen area. And there's that exterior door with the, the key code on the outside. 
I'm gonna share so that oh, people I'm can sorry. see your screen. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Uh, oh gosh. Zoom. I thought I'd done that to start the meeting. That's no, right there. Okay. I'll get out of your way. Then you're yeah. Good. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, folks online. I thought I shared my screen. None of us on Zoom are seeing those slides at all. Scott. I am going to share right now. Sorry about that. You guys see that now? Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, final, just, just some final pictures of uh, the new paint, uh, new uh, pilot's lounge, new flooring. Again, uh, it was a great team at uh, First Construction. Brian Gay and Jason Knudsen uh, did a good job. Sunflower Paving uh, did some of the uh, parking improvements. So I think, think that group of folks uh, for working hard on that project. And I'll be happy to answer any questions. Anyone? Okay. Thank you. And next is uh, T-Lane Taxi Lane Project. Uh, Brett Holt from Garver is going to give us an update on that. And yes, it, it is a little behind schedule. <laughs> MSO staff and Brett uh, met with uh, the folks at Sunflower Paving and R.D. Johnson a couple weeks ago. And since that meeting, they, they've picked up their effort out there and yeah, uh, making yep. good progress. So I'm going to turn it over to, to Brett. We don't really have any pictures or I posted uh, the uh, notices that went out to the tenants, but we don't, for the folks online, we don't really have any uh, thing to share. We'll just let Brett give a project update. Yep. So they are um, behind schedule, but yeah, after meeting with them, they, they picked up the pace and we did get an updated schedule from them today. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, they'll be working on the sub-base placement tomorrow and Friday. And then they'll uh, start the aggregate base on Monday and get that going and have the concrete drives to the hangars um, poured on the 7th. And then finally should be wrapping up on the 10th with all the remaining asphalt that they've got to, got to get down on taxi lane C <coughs> and A and B as well. So we're getting close. Just hopefully no more weather delays and yeah. keep them cruising and be, be wrapped up next Friday. Less paint and everything, but. But we're getting there. So I can get my airplane back. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions for Brett on that project? And if you haven't been out there to the airport, I encourage you to, to get out there, drive around the taxi lanes. It, it's, it was a much bigger project um, once I saw it on the ground than, than just viewing it on paper. And um, hopefully Chad and Tina had improved the drainage uh, between that uh, T hangar A and the and the Eurotech hangars because um, that was definitely some low spots uh, through that area as well and they're working on that this week so definitely on the uh, west side of taxiway A with the new drainage ditch and um, the drain tubes off of that T hangar with the rains uh, it looks like yep. everything's working well so. yep yep it does so definitely some improvements there and that that pipe over there should go in middle of next week so excellent all right thanks we'll miss the river. <laughs> hopefully no more river okay and here we go um this is what's going to take us some time tonight uh let's see the update and see what's going on with the runway feasibility study yes yeah, right. so uh, john rostis here from I, uh outside of birmingham alabama with garver uh, oh. to give us an update on that project welcome to winter <laughs> well thank you yeah it was uh it, and you know Full disclosure, it was 32 degrees when I left home this morning, so 
Uh, and I am having a little bit of difficulty clicking into the presentation on here. Is there a, do I need to go from, do I need to take control here or? Kurt, should, can he run it from up there? Which one do you want? Runway feasibility study or yes. paper two? What are you looking for? Uh, the runway feasibility study dash AAB. That first document? Yep. Well, I don't have control either. Yeah, try and click on it, then you have to share it like it's a Zoom meeting. But you gotta open that. Oh, Scott's so still funny. sharing. Oh, sorry. Oh, good job. I will stop share. <laughs> All right, let's see here. All right. Can everyone see my screen okay? Not yet. Not yet. No. All right. Green button at the bottom. Yep. There we go. And share. All right. Can everyone see it okay? All right, great. Well, like Scott had said, my name is John Rostis. I'm a senior aviation planner with Garver, and I've been uh, privileged to work with Scott and the city of Lawrence on the runway feasibility study uh, for the Lawrence Regional Airport. So really quick, what I am just going to do is take a moment to just kind of cover what our actual scope of work is and really kind of help set what some of those expectations are of what we're trying to uncover with this project in particular. So really, our objective was pretty clear. It was to identify what the Lawrence Regional Airport would need to do to accommodate the Boeing 717 and the Boeing 737 for athletic charters to support KU. That's it. So what we're looking at doing through that is identifying a study that's going to provide a range of recommendations and alternatives that could be reasonably employed to help accomplish that end result. So what we did as a part of our actual scope of work was we did an inventory of existing airport conditions. This included reviewing existing airport plans, documents, coordination with the city on some of the additional uh, environmental factors surrounding the uh, airport, uh, local zoning regulations, things of that matter, and then also a comprehensive site visit to actually identify and assess the airport conditions as they are today. So that brought us to the facility requirements. And the facility requirements section is basically an identification of what the airport needs to do from both an airside development needs. And when I say airside development needs, that's purely just considerations of the runway system, the taxiway system, and the aircraft parking apron specific to accommodating the 717 and the 737. So that limited our scope to runway 1533, taxiway alpha, taxiway bravo, and the existing aircraft parking apron. And then additionally, too, from an administrative perspective, we also evaluated what the requirements would be for the airport to accommodate uh, Code of Federal Regulations Part 139. And that would be the administrative actions that would be needed to accommodate those larger sports charter aircraft that are operated with the 717 and 737 types. So from there, what we were able to do is we were able to identify, all right, this is what the airport has, this is where the airport needs to go to accommodate this specific objective. From there, we were able to develop a series of alternative develop, or airfield alternative developments. And that included three alternatives for runway 1533, and actually uh, now five uh, apron expansion alternatives as well, too. So we'll be getting into some of our findings here and uh, how we can best accommodate those in a moment. So we'll get into the Facility requirements section. So 
We identified four critical items that would need to occur at Lawrence Regional Airport to accommodate this type of operation. Uh, runway 1533 would need to be extended up to 6,300 feet to accommodate the 717 and the 737. Uh, taxiways Alpha and Bravo would need to be widened to 50 feet and the taxiway fillets would need to be widened as well to accommodate the main gear width. Uh, there would need to be an expansion or potentially construction of a new aircraft parking apron. And then additionally, uh, runway 1533 would need to be strengthened as well. Uh, Brett, feel free to correct me on my numbers here, but I believe if uh, the airport started to incur more than 50 total annual operations of a 737 uh, aircraft, the runway would only last about another 1.2 years. So there is additional strengthening requirements that were recommended as a part of this study as well. So I'm gonna get in really quick to how we arrived at those conclusions. So first, I'm gonna start with our aircraft range analysis. And what we did was we basically looked at what's our target aircraft and where's this aircraft gonna go. So we looked at other schools that were in the Big 12 Conference to help identify really what's our envelope for identifying aircraft range. So we were able to coordinate through airport planning manuals that are released by Boeing to help identify what our actual range envelope is gonna need to be to help us get to an appropriate runway length so aircraft that are operating out of Lawrence can successfully perform that mission. So we were able to identify that the Boeing 737-800, which we viewed as a critical aircraft for this project, would need an approximate runway length of 6,300 feet to be able to accomplish that mission. Is that so, contaminated or dry? That, that is dry, yes. So we did use dry factors for this as well, uh, just from a, uh, from a planning perspective. Did you guys take contamination in any of the study? Uh, we did consider it as well. We did view that it was going to be such a limited amount that it would also materially change the amount of runway length that would need to be occurring uh, that realistically it would create a lot of other challenges as well too. So uh, from a runway length perspective for takeoff, it was viewed as dry. Uh, we did run an analysis on landing calculations as well for a dry and wet runway as well. Uh, we found that the aircraft would be able to land in both conditions there. Um, with the new members of, or the coming new members of Big 12, it goes all the way out to California. So when you fill up an airplane here going farther, does that have an impact on what your study does? So uh, there might need to be additional modifications then made to the actual payload or fueling capabilities of the aircraft at that point. Uh, right now we viewed that like Florida and Arizona and Salt Lake City area uh, as kind of critical destinations at this point. Uh, that's not to certainly say that aircraft could not perform beyond that, but additional modifications to their actual takeoff weight might need to occur as a result of that. Uh, we weren't really conservative on our weight modeling for this as well, too. Uh, we assumed fully loaded aircraft, uh, just because okay. football players, they're generally, um, they weigh a little bit more than I do. So uh, they also have a lot more equipment than I generally travel with, or you might generally travel with as well. So we really kind of view this as a, uh, from a passengers and cargo perspective, a very uh, heavy aircraft as well. So that's what we took into consideration when we did our initial uh, runway length performances. So as well. it would have been could a you full guys load. wait for, on your questions until he finishes his presentation? Okay. okay. Please. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll give you plenty of time. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. No, and I do. I do appreciate the questions mm -hmm. as well here too. This is uh, this is fun. Um, so. Like I was stating here, that this is something that helped us arrive at our ultimate recommendation length of 6,300 feet, uh, tying back into that first recommendation we made for the air side. So 
our recommendation to widen taxiway alpha and bravo as well here too so as you can see here this is uh, a turn model simulation that we performed for the boeing 737-800 turning from taxiway alpha onto taxiway bravo uh, the red highlights here that you can see on the screen represent the actual wingtip clearance areas that are uh, reflected here off the uh, ends of each wing and then the blue areas here are actually the main gear path as well so now what you can see here is the actual wheels themselves are on the inner portion of the blue line uh, closer to the aircraft and when that aircraft is going to be taking that turn while it is following the runway center or pardon me the taxiway center line uh, in both cases it would go off the paved surface additionally too even while it's on a straightaway the the margins for their operation would be incredibly narrow uh, for a 737 aircraft, uh, uh, the FAA does recommend a 50-foot wide taxiway as well. So that was really what drove us towards making that recommendation to widen out taxiway alpha and bravo and also widening the fillets, which are the areas where you basically turn um, from taxiway surface to a different taxiway surface or to a runway environment. Uh, to help make sure that we're just, we're not going in, you know, not going into the grass. We're not tearing up lights. Nobody likes that. So that's what we're trying to avoid with that as well. So uh, we made that model here for Taxiway Alpha onto Taxiway Bravo. And then we also did a simulation for this here for Taxiway Alpha 1 uh, onto uh, runway 33 departure end. Uh, this was also run additionally on the 15 end and we were able to identify the same results. So for clarity's sake, we're only gonna show one runway end here today, but it is the same result on both runway ends. Additionally, too, we looked at the, air, uh, the existing aircraft uh, parking apron's ability to accommodate a 737-800 operation. Uh, we used uh, jet blast contours as our constraint to help us identify where the aircraft would need to reasonably park to not impact uh, terminal area operations. Yeah. So we ran, uh, and you can, it's a little tricky to see on here so we can increase the line weight in our final report, but we ran uh, 35 and 50 mile an hour jet blast contours on this as well. Uh, those are metrics that are uh, outlined by the FAA as well that helps us kind of identify what we can do within those developmental envelopes. So that's where we arrived at the position of where that 737 is shown on the apron there. Uh, now, as you can see, uh, 737 parked in that area where jet blast isn't gonna materially affect uh, any of the terminal structure as well, uh, it eats up a lot of space. Uh, so as a result, we did feel that without reasonably, or without impacting uh, existing tenants or transient tenants that would be utilizing the aircraft parking apron, some sort of apron expansion would need to occur. So that really kind of gets us into some of the additional just what we viewed as actual infrastructural needs to accommodate the 737 and 717. But another component to this as well is what does the airport need to do from an actual uh, regulatory perspective uh, to accommodate this type of aircraft? So these are considered commercial aircraft as well that do operate on a unscheduled basis. So part 139 is an airport certification guide, uh, pardon me, licensure by the FAA that uh, airports would need to adhere to if they were to accommodate basically aircraft such as these athletic charters. So there is a range of uh, your level to adhere to part 139 and it goes from class one, that's gonna be your airports like Kansas City International, your Wichita's, um, you know, we're regularly accommodating scheduled passenger service. The stringent, uh, the level that they're held to is not necessarily the same level that would need to be held to if you're 
hosting occasional sports charters by a similar type of aircraft. So as a result, we identified that uh, this airport would fit into a class four requirement for part 139. This is similar to what you see at Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where they host the University of Alabama and Fayetteville, Arkansas, which hosts the University of Arkansas athletic charters as well. So basically what this is, is you know unscheduled accommodation of aircraft such as the 737, primarily for charter activities. So what would need to occur from a regulatory perspective and to help maintain that part 139 license is the airport would need to adopt an airport compliance manual. That has worked in tandem with the uh, FAA's airport district office and their 139 regional inspector. And what is going to be part of this airport certification manual is basically a guide on how you plan to keep the airport safe and operational for these types of operations that are coming into the airport. So parts of this include an airport emergency plan. So that's going to be a comprehensive plan on basically what happens if something goes wrong. And that is going to help you identify basically how to execute on those emergencies as they may happen. Uh, a signage and marking plan as well. This is basically a delineation of where all the markings and signs are on the airfield environment that are going to be utilized by those aircraft that are doing those uh, aircraft, uh, those athletic charters out here. And then additionally, there's also uh, training that uh, the airport staff would need to go through on an annual basis as well. And the FAA also inspects those uh, documentation records as well to make sure that basically you're keeping your staff up with the documents that are in your ACM and that you are proficient and able to act on that ACM when you need to. Another key component of this as well too is that there would be the necessity for uh, aircraft rescue and firefighting capabilities on the airport. Now, you would need to have trained personnel on the airfield 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after those uh, operations. So you wouldn't need to have like a full-time firefighter out of the airport 24-7 because you're getting a few sports charters every year. But when those sports charters do come in, you would need to have qualified personnel that are here within a certain window around those aircraft operations. And as a result, you would also need a <laughs> specialized aircraft rescue and firefighting truck that has certain uh, agents in it that are able to basically help in you know, things like jet fuel uh, when it's burning or something like that. So that's able to properly extinguish and uh, minimize any further harm during those situations. So the airport would be required to meet an index B requirement, which is basically like your second up uh, in terms of the scheme of uh, airport fire trucks. So it's, you know, you're looking at things like a 1500 gallon capacity. I don't have the number in front of me at the moment, but uh, basically your ability to respond to actually the lower category from what the 737 is, you basically can do one uh, level below if you have less than five uh, daily operations of that particular aircraft. So like I said, the 737 was viewed as the critical aircraft for uh, this study really at the end of the day. So uh, the airport would actually be able to get one level uh, lower because they are not operating here on a routine daily basis as well. Uh, another recommendation we did make as a result of actually acquiring a fire truck for the aircraft operations is the construction of an ARF station or potentially using that for other uses as well, such as a snow removal equipment building. Uh, just it, We felt as a general practice, if you're going to acquire an expensive fire truck, you should probably house it somewhere that's not going to be in the elements to maintain the useful life of that vehicle. 
So that kind of covers just both the infrastructural and the administrative uh, recommendations that we made through this study. And I'm gonna get into now really quick just some of the actual alternatives themselves. So like I had mentioned here, we had three total runway alternatives and five total apron alternatives as well here. And what I'm gonna do is kind of walk through these here. So. What we had is we had proposed uh, three runway alternatives here, which includes a 600-foot extension to the south, a 600-foot extension to the north, and kind of a split-the-difference model, which is uh, 400 feet to the south and 200 feet to the north. So our target objectives for this were to hit a 6,300-foot runway length and to meet FAA design standards to the greatest, greatest extent practicable. So some of these included, uh, as I would mentioned, the 600-foot extension, widening tax taxiway alpha and then also correcting an acute angle entry uh, on taxiway delta onto uh, runway 1533 that would be converted into a 90 degree entry as well. Uh, this also included the widening of the taxiway fillets here as well. So this is a matrix here that is also detailed in the report, but I'm gonna be referring back to this as we actually look at the visual depiction of each alternative. So alternative one here is the 600 foot extension to the south. Uh, we did identify that this would be able to meet the target of accommodating the runway length for the 737 and 717 operations. So there are a few items that we did evaluate in particular that we wanted to kind of share as what our matrices for considerations were here. And that includes uh, potential for environmental impacts, potential for impacts to residential or nearby businesses. Uh, any potential part 77, which is the uh, imaginary surfaces surrounding the airport and instrument approach procedures. Um, and then any potential impacts to road or adjacent utilities as well. Uh, and then finally, we also identified what the anticipated developmental cost of each of these is gonna be. I see this, oh, perfect. Screen just went out for a moment. So this, Altern uh, airside alternative one here, uh, we valued at about $33.8 million total. And this, uh, from uh, our evaluative criteria here, we were able to identify that with this extension here, this would require the potential realignment for US Highway 40 to the south of the airport. Now, this would be done to keep the runway protection zone, which is this trapezoidal shape shown off of the runway uh, 33 uh, end there, uh, free of incompatible land uses. The FAA views having a roadway within, or basically any additional uh, inclusion of persons or property within the runway protection zone as an incompatible land use. Now, this surface itself is viewed by the FAA as the aircraft is lost at that point and is trying to preserve additional people on the ground from any further harm at that point. So that's why it's generally trying to uh, eliminate people from that area. Now, one thing to note with this as well is that the FAA does have a risk matrix for this as well in terms of their ability to help determine do you actually need to do a full realignment of US Highway 40 because the reality of it is at the end of the day, the risk is also incredibly low. So what we do propose here is that we are showing this as a worst case scenario in that the FAA would in fact require the realignment of the US Highway 40 in order to accommodate a runway extension. But there is the possibility that it may be able to be exempted uh, through an FAA waiver process as well. We've seen that the FAA central region in a lot of other cases has been very reasonable in this approach. Um, and they use a very uh, metric and qualitative based formula to help arrive at that conclusion as well. 
one other thing to note with this airside alternative as well is that it would re require the realignment of the uh, existing Mauser system that is serving runway 33. Just naturally, as you shift the runway environment, the approach lighting system is going to need to be shifted as well. Uh, this would require the acquisition or easement of farmlands south of the airport as well to help uh, maintain that compatible land use of that runway protection zone. Uh, we did view that there would be the potential for uh, approach surface impacts uh, because there would be now including uh, poles and trees off south of the airport as well. Uh, to that uh, approach surface as well. Uh, potential ramifications of that could include uh, having to either lower or uh, eliminate those obstacles or uh, taking potential impacts on instrument approach procedures in terms of having to have increased visibility minimums. Um, additionally, too, like I had stated, uh, from a road or utility impacts perspective, we did see that uh, likely it would be possible that the uh, power lines along US Highway 40 would have to be lowered as well. Uh, this would also be done in tandem to, one, eliminate the incompatible land use issue that would be as a result of this project, and then also to help uh, prevent any further impact to the instrument approach procedures serving runway 33. So that is uh, just kind of high level what we viewed as some of the potential impacts that we viewed out of uh, alternative one. So alternative two here, uh, it has a basically that 600 foot extension, but this would be uh, carried out to the north here as well. So uh, from an environmental impact, we did view that the Mud Creek that is north of the airport would have to go through a potential realignment to be free of the runway object free area as well. Uh, so obviously as that is, say that is a creek right there, that is going to require extensive US Army Corps of Engineer coordination as well and could have the potential for environmental impact. Uh, we did view that there was a residential property um, or a private property located just north of the runway environment that would need to be removed from the runway protection zone. Uh, and additionally, too, that we also viewed that this would also require the additional acquisition or easement <coughs> control of farmlands north of the airport uh, to help protect for the runway protection zone. Uh, similar to alternative one as well to the levee and any trees north of the airport would be an increased penetration uh, to the in, uh, approach surface as well. So there could be the potential for the need, need to light, uh, light, lower, or remove those obstacles. And then finally, from a road or utility impact perspective, uh, realistically, we did see that the realignment of east 1500 road and the levee access road would need to occur to remove the roads from the runway protection zone. Uh, this would also include the potential closure of North, uh, North 1950 road and the burial of uh, power lines adjacent to the airport as well. So once again, though, those are items that could potentially be scaled back if these were approved through an RPZ analysis by the FAA. But once again, for conservative sake, we did just denote those as changes that would need to occur to meet that design standard to the greatest extent practicable. Uh, the overall uh, estimated cost for this was $33.99 million as well. This says 35. Pardon me, yeah, sorry, 35.99, okay. my apologies. Uh, and then finally here, we have uh, airside alternative number uh, three. 
and this is a 400 foot extension to the south and a 200 foot extension to the north. And really our kind of guiding principle with this one here was we were just trying to split the difference a little bit to see if we shifted things around a little bit, if it helped minimize and offset some of these impacts. But you still see a lot of those impacts that you are able to, uh, that you are basically getting either through alternatives one or two. So this would require the potential realignment of the levee or Mud Creek. Uh, there is the potential for additional environmental impacts regarding farmland and wetlands south of the airport due to the US Highway 40 and Mausel relocations. Uh, this would require a potential acquisition for uh, the private property located north of the airport, in addition to uh, acquisition or control of the farmlands surrounding the airport as well for RPZ protection. Uh, you're still seeing a lot of the similar approach uh, penetration issues, but not as magnetized as you would in either alternatives one or two. And then uh, finally, too, you're seeing a basically both the impacts from uh, alternatives one and two for both uh, East 1950 Road and US Highway 40 being impacted here as well. Uh, so we view the estimated cost on this to be about $36.05 million as well. So these are the items that we viewed as what would need to occur to basically get your target number of 6,300 feet. So with that, we will move into the next portion of this as well. And this is what we would need to do for the overall apron expansion alternatives. And what we did is we viewed these on a criteria model of basically what's the total area that needs to be actually expanded? What's the ability of that apron? that apron parking area to accommodate uh, the number of aircraft out there, what method of parking they're going to be able to employ. Is it either going to be taxi in and taxi out, which is where they're able to use their own power to basically maneuver in and out of position, or are they going to need to uh, require any uh, tow-in type of capabilities as well, which would be additional equipment that would need to be acquired by the airport or FBO. Uh, we also viewed that the proximity to the terminal is a key one as well from more of a passenger experience perspective. Uh, we don't want buses and people having to walk a long way on the apron. No one really wants to do that. So we did view that as something to evaluate in this process. And then also what the estimated costs were going to be. So our first one here is an expansion of the east uh, parking apron here. And this is a taxi in, taxi out method for two 737-800 aircraft. And that would require a total expansion of Oh, 136,000 square feet. Uh, from a proximity to the terminal perspective, uh, this would be able to get uh, passengers and buses up to about 355 feet from the terminal building. And we view that the estimated cost on this would be approximately $6.036 million. Uh, once again, this does tie into some of the initial discussion that we had regarding the aircraft parking apron in terms of considerations for jet blast impacts as well, uh, making sure that those were factored into our parking envelope. In addition to that, we also factored in this existing hangar uh, to the south of this proposed apron area as well, uh, and making sure that their access was not impeded during any of these activities. Uh, once again, too, this also takes into consideration any, uh, uh, I guess, uh, not impacting any other uh, existing uh, aircraft parking apron operations shown in the existing apron uh, to the right. So that here is alternative one. Alternative two is a little bit more of a reduced 
method of this. This is a 73,000 square foot expansion. Uh, this would require realistically towing in and towing out aircraft into position at this point. So that does kind of help reduce our potential for jet blast impacts. But this is going to have to be done with specialized equipment as well that would need to be acquired for use in this particular case. Um, the Proximity to the terminal is negligible. Uh, it's like a 10-foot differential uh, to alternative one. And uh, the real big difference here is the actual cost saving at uh, about $3.298 million. Alternative three here is uh, basically a continuation of the alternative two exhibit as well, but with the inclusion of a new taxi lane onto Taxiway Bravo. Uh, the total new paved area would be 98,000 square feet, and this does allow taxi in, taxi out operations as well. Um, once again, you're looking at about a 380-foot distance to the terminal area and an estimated cost of about $4.527 million. Uh, once again, too, this also does take into consideration that there might be some potential for conflict uh, if you had basically an aircraft trying to exit this hangar at the exact same time of aircraft movement through here. But if they're just parked and there is a little bit of coordination, uh, those should be able to operate unimpeded of each other at that point. Uh, another alternative we did view was actually a north expansion as well, too. We kind of want to think a little bit outside of the box with this one here and think, all right, do we need to necessarily go east? What might be some benefits and savings we can get if we just went actual north with this as well? So this would be a 158,000 square foot expansion. So from a uh, size-wise here within the existing terminal apron area, this would be the larger of the alternatives. Um, so that comes in at about 7.613 million, but this does also net you a third aircraft parking position as well for a 737. Uh, additionally to the way the aircraft are staged, this also does allow aircraft to fuel into the left wing of the 737, which is the preferred fueling method by that type of operator as well. So any fuel trucks that would be operating for this type of aircraft would not have to have to go around the wingtips or you know go into the grass or we do any other additional pavement so they could do a right or uh, pardon me fueling from the right side. So this does uh, though have an impact of just it is a greater distance to the terminal area. It's at 640 feet. So uh, just from a having traffic on the actual aircraft parking apron itself, there is that increased distance. There is that increased time right there uh, compared to the other uh, eastern apron expansion alternatives as well. Uh, but one other uh, final alternative that we have. Uh, been able to develop here, and this was as a result of our discussions with the city, is any uh, potential uh, development to the south here as well. So this was able to take in uh, just some additional uh, development uh, I'd concepts that are currently out there regarding uh, the south area as well. Uh, so this south apron development is about 136,300 square feet of additional pavement. This would give you up to two guaranteed parking positions of the aircraft to be able to tow in or out if there's one aircraft or tow in, or pardon me, taxi in, taxi out if there's one aircraft, tow in, tow out if there's two aircraft. Um, some of the disadvantages with this though is there's no direct access to the terminal area at this time. Um, and the estimated cost for this was $11.96 million. So with that, that is what we viewed as the overall steps and possible means and methods of accomplishing the target objectives of accommodating the 717 and the 737 operations out here at Lawrence Regional Airport. I'd like to open it up if you folks have any questions. Okay. Do you have questions, Greg? Naturally. <laughs> so, so the uh, uh, one comment and then, then some questions. Uh, 
I, I, I commanded the B-1 bomb wing in Wichita, and so I've flown big airplanes into places that don't have a very well-defined clear zone. Mm -hmm. uh, when I flew one into Cheyenne, Wyoming for frontier days, mm -hmm. there's a road right short of the runway, and uh, the people looked up as I was coming in to land on the first brick, because it's not a real long runway, right. and they banged each other. So the... Um, the clear zone is important. Absolutely. Um, yeah, 927 out of Cheyenne's a mess, so it's it's no fun. <laughs> yep. Um, so y your assumptions are, and and I guess it has to do with the sports team charters. Correct. Does that limit, does the plan that you've set up limit you to sports team charters or any charter? so that we could expand the use of the airport beyond sports teams, but chartered 737s. So are, are you kind of like referring to like uh, like casino charters, things of that such? Yes, or, just... or what if there's a big group that wants to go to Cancun direct and they yeah. charter a 737 and fly out of Lawrence? So I, let me... Uh... Let me follow up on that specific uh, re request right there. My understanding initially is that would fall into the same classification as well, since it would be that unscheduled charter right. by that type of aircraft. So from just kind of an initial perspective of what how that's viewed at, I would I would lean yes, but let me verify that as well. Okay. The other consideration, too, is that some of those fall under Part 380, which is a different type of operation by airlines themselves. So I would want to I would want to be very clear that I'm giving you a correct answer on that okay. one. So I'm, I'm happy to look into that, though. So it would either be Class 4 or something else that fits that correct. criteria. Okay. Um, requires an airport compliance manual requires an airport emergency operations plan and additional signage um, just for the board I have talked to Matt Mathias the KU emergency management guy and we're going to meet and set up the next exercise because the last one was when Rich was on and it was like seven years ago um, so my question then is should I try to design something into the exercise that would consider these kind of operations to help us build the emergency operation plan? So the airport emergency operations plan would definitely want to take something like that into consideration because a big part of that is like, for example, like mutual aid agreements. Right. Uh, and that's, that really plays into the, uh, you know, even like large hub airports really rely heavily on uh, surrounding communities and a lot of integration in with local uh, fire departments, even in just within the region itself to make sure that they have basically the greatest force multiplier to help support in the event of an emergency. Emergency. So, uh, it, from a discussion level, I mean, uh, you would be uh, pretty much your own leisure to do that as you know, as an advisory board or under the city's uh, representation. But uh, something like that would I couldn't see any con to doing that okay. at this point. Yeah, Terrific. I think uh, from what I read in the expanded version, also of your draft. If it, if we go to 139 or anything like that, you'd have to have one of these exercises regularly like right. every three years or something correct so yeah might need to fold that in a little bit right okay okay more greg uh just uh, emergency management in kansas is a ca county level um function mm -hmm. but the city is and 
is very interested and is working right now on a joint kind of a, a thing. Uh, so I think that will be doable. Fantastic. Um, I, I actually like alternate four where you can park three of them uh, which gives us the most growth potential and there is no chance that you're going to have blast problems by the way that uh, alignment is. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Gary? Um, just one quick question or maybe Absolutely. a quick question. I don't know if this is for you or for Scott or maybe even for Clancy. This was all kind of started before <laughs> I got on the board. But first off, thank you. I mean, I think this presentation is great. I, I This is awesome. Appreciate it. I didn't even think about these opportunities here at the Lawrence Airport. Um, my question kind of going into the growth potential, because I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this, but then my head started thinking about like, well, what would be the next step, right? So I'm just curious on, did you all look at or how we kind of came to the determination of just the 6,300 feet when it came to the expansion? And, you know, yeah. if another hundred feet if we had that like what would that do would that take us to another level or? yeah absolutely so I, this is kind of a, a two-part response here so uh, within the scope of this study it was very uh, very targeted on what do we need to do to accomplish the objective for KU athletics in accommodating that 737 aircraft so that's how we arrived specifically at 6300 feet for this now with the uh, second presentation I'll be doing here today we'll be getting into the actual airport master plan which is a more holistic plan that addresses all aviation users and communities community input as well too. So that might also provide some additional findings as well that might also drive future runway uh, runway recommendations as well. I did, did that, did that? Uh, yeah, no, okay. exactly right. Um, one question I had, another question I had, you mentioned about like the part 139 training and that the staff would have to go through that. Yes. What all, what all do they constitute as airport staff? Is that anybody that works on the airport or how does that? Basically the folks that are responsible for uh, executing the airport certification manual. So in this particular case, you were looking at a staff of, uh, you know, on average for like a class four airport of this size, about four to five employees that include air airport operations specialist, the airport director, uh, and then first responders as well too, like ARF training records as well. Basically, the folks who are responsible for when there is an emergent situation, they want to make sure that they're adequately trained. So now if this is like, hey, you know, we're working at one of the, F you know, we're working at an FBO or we're working for, uh, you know, a mechanic shop on the airport, you're just hypothetically speaking here, they would not be required to have that same level of training. They would not need to have, they their records for training are not required under 139. So uh, like for example, uh, I was employed by a part 139 airport for a portion of my career as well. I was never in a responder role, so they never had to maintain my records for training or anything like that, it, despite even being directly employed by the airport authority. All right, all right. So that, no, go ahead. Uh, that's so all. that leads to a, a comment, and that we in the master plan should consider an airport authority. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, airport governance is something that is uh, considered and discussed uh, in an airport master plan as well, too. Perfect. Perfect. That's all my questions. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Uh, during the construction phase, uh, if this were to come about, would we have to shut down the airport for a period of time? So I will defer to my engineering team on that one, but I, I will say that for a, a runway extension of that, uh, of that size and length, you realistically would need to, at a minimum, shut uh, 1533 for that construction portion. Realistically, there would be ways to phase that where you could realistically keep like a runway 119 open. Um, but there would, if there's ever work in the intersection or anything like that, that's when you'd realistically be looking at like a total airport closure. So uh, long story short, 
complete airport closure, not likely for the entire duration of the uh, construction, but there might be portions where there would be maybe up to a few days of total airport closure. I will allow these gentlemen to correct me if I am wrong, though, because I am an airport planner, not an engineer. So, <laughs> so the DC airport replaces a thousand feet at night when they're closed. Yes. On a regular basis. Yes. So it just depends on how much money you spend. That, that is true. And I did, I, I did work for an airport that would only allow construction to happen between 12 and 4 a.m. on their primary runway as well. Um, it gets expensive quick. Those bid tabs were painful for everyone to look at. So, um, the, the D.C. airport, going to your uh, question there, Mr. Gardner, I was actually, uh, they're redoing that work that I actually did that work 10, 15 years ago, the initial overlay at, at, you're talking at National Airport. Right. That's a very unique situation. Um, uh, being the primary airport there, we had to basically come up with new rules, so to speak, to work with the FAA in order to mill, fill, replace cans, or replace lights all in one night. Um, just to kind of give you a little bit of perspective on that, uh, my original design 15 years ago was we had a crew that just went out and cored cans out one night. And the next night they milled full width and pulled the cans out and left a, a lid on top of the runway. And it was, a, it was a unique situation in that we defined the millings in such a manner that it felt no different to the pilots uh, than a groove surface. Um, we stayed out there all night, talked to, I think I interviewed probably 50 pilots that came in the next day. And they said they felt no difference. And that was both in a dry and a wet condition. Uh, so it's it's kind of a unique situation that you have there in DC. Not saying you can you can bring that down to Lawrence, but as we we're talking about, uh, it's a cost. It's a quite a bit of a cost uh, and and penalties. Um, that's what colleague John was saying. Uh, yes, for a period of time when we're when the strengthening of the runway has to occur, that runway will be shut down, uh, but not the airport until you got into some intersections, and then that can be phased in such a manner where that's a weekend project versus an overnight. It's all about balancing the cost and the timing uh, for this type of work. So, how often do they do it at DC? They well. Typically, a runway overlay is designed by the FAA for about a 10-year lifespan. Uh, during this time in 2006, 2007, uh, that was, if you recall, a little bit of a unique period in the airline industry in that we had some acquisitions. Um, our original plan was you, we were dealing with the same aircraft, 717s from AirTrans, a few 737s, a lot of commuter traffic going up the East Coast, and they were limited at the time uh, as far as flights across the country uh, because of rules, and they could only fly to, I think, the Mississippi, if I recall right. Uh, that, DC? I think it, it was no further than Denver. No further than yep. Denver at that time uh, until they lifted that cap on the number of flights and distances they could fly. Once that happened, it was Katie bar the door at National Airport. <laughs> Uh, Southwest ended up acquiring AirTran. Uh, they switched out all of their 737 aircraft, or 717 aircraft, into 737s, and ended up being that uh, National Airport started pumping more passengers and traffic through, through it than Dulles did, which is 40 miles down the road in the, the International Airport. So, yeah, it, it did increase the traffic quite a bit and actually uh, accelerated. Uh, 
the, the runway uh, degradation, uh, just because you had a lot of increased traffic, heavier traffic uh, going at the, out of that airport in a shorter amount of time. So our uh, original overlay plan kind of went out the window in the first year. The second year, we increased the thickness, came up with the game plan to Basically, you said mill and, mill, and, mill and fill is essentially what it was. So we milled so much at night. The next night, it came and filled full width. So it was like paving an echelon, so to speak. So we were always filling the runway and reopening at night. And we came up with the, uh, the criteria of using uh, the Boeing bump criteria, which is how much, damp how much uh, aircraft gear can uh, tolerate, uh, and built out like 250-foot ramps uh, on the runway. So I always had a smooth transition from new pavement to milled pavement back to old pavement. But it was a thousand feet a night. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we did a thousand yeah. feet a night. Yeah, they're Sorry. they're basically they're repeating yeah. the same game plan that we we, did. we digress. Yeah. All right. Sorry. 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 Jim, shouldn't ask that last question. The northern apron appears to be the most desirable and costly. Um, Scott, this might be a question for you. That would be the airport's property, or would that be the FBO's property? Uh, well, it would be on airport property, sure. I mean, all the airport is on uh, airport property, except for uh, the west side that uh, the University of Kansas owns, uh, uh, the place where their hangars are. So I know we have parking issues during the winter season as well. So I think that would make the most sense, and I'm assuming that. And the other question I had specifically for you would, how many 737s are traditionally traveling with a big 12 football team? Assuming it's one. Uh, are you talking like fleet-wise? Like, like if University of Colorado is coming here. Oh, just it's usually one. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you're not seeing like a, a large influx of them. You know, it's the only time I've really seen like a big upgauge for like collegiate uh, athletic charters is like if they're in the national championship. So like uh, for example, when I've seen like University of Alabama go off, they'll use like an A330 or something like that. That's realistically in that particular case, you're probably not going to design your airport for that particular example. But traditionally speaking, it's one uh, that we've seen. If there were any kind of like tournament or something like that, like especially on, like the basketball front as well too, uh, you may see an increase in aircraft beyond that as well. So from a planning perspective, we wanted to be a little bit more conservative in this and basically just figure out, you know, two to three we felt was a reasonable range for accommodation. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. David, do you have anything? David? Uh, nothing for me at this time, no. Okay. I have a couple of things. Um, I know that Doug Tillman has presented um, to at least me and Scott, and I don't know about anybody else yet, the um, the issue about one of the uh, taxiways northbound to um, potentially the full length of 0119. I know that wasn't part of the charter, yeah. but it is something we need to consider. Absolutely. So, And we've actually had a discussion on this Good. already, too, and Scott's brought this to my attention, too. Yeah. So our recommendation on basically, uh, and I'll try to see if I can pull up a uh, oh, different one here. Just for frame of reference here, so everyone kind of see what I'm discussing. Um, making sure, get my screen shared correct. All right. So, I just want to make sure that we're all, everyone can see this okay. So, taxiway delta here enters runway 1533 at an acute angle. So, basically, a non 90 degree angle. Uh, 
onto runway 1533. So the FAA does not like non 90 degree entries onto the runway environment. So as a result, we propose a new taxiway alpha three, which would correct this to a 90 degree entry. Now, the comment that was initially posed as well to is actually is a very forward thinking comment as well. And this mm -hmm. is something we'll look at in the master plan in greater detail. As we this look is at the number one thing on the master plan. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad <laughs> that's good to note now. So, so uh, with the something as we look into like the actual runway 119 complex as well, since that wasn't included as a part of this study, uh, but is a part of the master plan, that's something we'll look at in greater detail. But <clears throat> Alpha 3 here, what we would look at doing here is basically doing a further continuation of Alpha 3 across here into what we'll just call that a hypothetical uh, Charlie 1. Um, mm -hmm. And then that would go in at a 90 degree angle as well and then uh, continue to turn north towards runway 119, uh, turn northeast towards uh, the runway 19 end, and then turn at a 90 degree angle uh, to enter the runway 19 end. Yeah. So that would meet the geometric requirements that the mm -hmm. FAA does have in place. Uh, so since your previous master plan, the FAA did update a lot of their design advisory circular requirements, right. including those entry angles to the runway uh, environment as well. That's why we made this recommendation, is just for the adherence to the existing uh, FAA standards today. Uh, now, the point was brought up too that it does slow down that basically that access to get to the runway uh, 19N. It's 100% true, it does. Uh, but the reason being is that with that 90 degree entry, it actually expedites the ability of the aircraft to exit the runway, which the FAA views as a more critical capacity uh, item rather than the taxiway system. And then two, it also increases the visibility from a pilot to be able to see their final uh, more equally on both ends. Right. So that was, uh, that was what drove our uh, initial consideration for this Alpha 3 realignment. Uh, the master plan itself will also consider that in the overall, overall okay. greater scheme for access to the 19 end. Okay, and, and there's one more item that I have on the um, uh, apron problem. I know it wasn't part of your charter also, but we already have a parking problem on the ramp. Absolutely. If we go with virtually any of the first four, mm -hmm. we haven't solved that problem. Absolutely, and you, you, are, uh, you are correct. This does not address any existing issues outside of the uh, initial project objective as well. Uh, to use the line again, there is a project that is forthcoming though, <laughs> that does look a little bit more holistically at airport operations. Uh, understanding that there are existing aircraft parking constraints as well, that would certainly be something that would be uh, thoroughly vetted through the airport master planning process. Uh, the airport master plan scope of work also does reference the runway feasibility study that is being performed here today that we're presenting with you. So we're able to make sure that we're leveraging the information appropriately and adequately to balance all objectives for the community in that project as well. Okay. All right. Any other uh, public comments, Richard? Just have one. Uh, Will you come to the microphone so uh, the people online can hear? My one question is the runway layout number one, where the uh, 2440 highway is a, is an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Is that a safety obstacle or just an obstacle in the runway protection zone? Is the uh, right here? Yes. So when it crosses here with the with the number with the first oh yeah one where we're going 600 feet to the yep. to the south. Yep. 
is that considered a hazard or is that just considered something that's in the runway protection it's zone? considered something that's in the runway protection so. zone because uh, even today it's actually within the runway protection okay. zone as well uh, these are grandfathered in since this rule was implemented in 2012 uh, if they were to correct this at every airport nationwide <laughs> they would have to pretty much shut down every airport nationwide as a result of that because this is a very common issue yeah very common so. issue so uh, this uh, the way that we did these layouts here too these are free of any uh, runway safety area runway object-free area uh, and approach surface as well too. So, so the state of Kansas wouldn't have to necessarily alter 2440 for this to be a safe operation? Correct. As long as the FAA granted the exemption. Exa yeah, exactly. And it, you know, to be honest with you, we would prefer to avoid that option as well from a developmental perspective. Uh, we understand that's a big chunk of the project cost right there is just that realignment. Like I said, we wanted to present conservative options as well here too, just assuming that this is your worst case scenario for development. Uh, like I said, with Central Region, we've been able to go through these RPZ risk analysis and we've, I mean, been able to achieve positive outcomes for airports as well through that. That is by no means a guarantee. <laughs> I just want to make that clear, but uh, that is something that we would definitely want to evaluate as our first option. So does the report in more detail break out the separate parts of the cost like it, yes okay. it does yeah there's there's a uh, line items for all okay. these as well I didn't I didn't read that part yeah. yep. about 583 pages I skimmed it today yeah. <laughs> sorry about a little that much so wait you guys aren't ready for the quiz after this because <laughs> the answer is C yeah. we have to stay until we'll do, we'll do some multiple choice if you like so no uh, yeah they, they are broken out uh, by items you can see quantities and our assumptions for how we arrive at our cost estimate as well. Okay. Anything else on this? So the assumption. Chad, would you go to you the come to the microphone, please? Yeah, we got some people online. Chad Decker. Uh, so this kind of coincides with what Jim Laster had, uh, asked about. So the the assumptions that were made um, with regards to the configuration, the, the payload mm -hmm. of the aircraft, uh, passengers, weight, and all that. Right. Um, there were specific assumptions made to determine whether or not the extra 600 feet would um, accommodate an aircraft type like that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Wait, I'm sorry. I, I think I might have misheard your question. I think I just... Well, so when Jim had asked the question about <clears throat> what uh, did you factor into your assumptions, uh, what was it? Contamination. Oh, yeah, contamination. runway. Yeah. So either wet runway or snow or yeah. what have you. So, yeah, a wet runway in, in theory would affect that payload capability of the aircraft. So that or would affect the range output of that aircraft right, at right. that time. So that that is something that when you go down and actually plan runway length analyses as well, too, there's, I mean, a multitude of scenarios, like a, thousands of scenarios that you could plan for with right. this. So we ended up going with this particular one as we felt that, you know, most likely it would be a dry condition that they'd be operating under. Uh, we use the a conservative uh, degree on the temperature for the aircraft actual temperature performance as well and then we also went conservative on the weight so uh, we we did try to balance out a conservative and realistic method to how we uh, approach the aircraft uh, runway length calculations as well okay so what happens if you exceed the temperature or the temperature for that day is is above what your conservative number was yeah or if and, and the runway is you know is considerably wet or, yeah, or no, and, and that's and that, that is a good question. Yeah. So that won't. There's not going to be a surefire runway length that you're like this is going to accommodate every single scenario out there. Uh, if that were the case, we'd be looking at 
under 10,000 or 11,000, 12,000 foot ranges. Um, and even then, there's still no guarantees under that circumstance as well, too. So what we, we try to do is make sure that we're presenting a runway length calculation that's uh, realistic in terms of these are airports that we can benchmark that we've seen these aircraft have been able to successfully operate in other environments as well. Okay. Um, but understanding there may be a time and place that, hey, there might be a challenge for that aircraft to operate. But that is a, a, an unfortunate reality for any airport out there is that there might just be certain cases that there's that one time that they just they might have to reduce their fuel load and they might have to do a fuel stop somewhere or um, they have to leave some bags off or something like that as well. So okay. um, if we were to go like full unconstrained, uh, like this aircraft can take off at their maximum take uh, their maximum takeoff weight, uh, we do actually list what those runway length requirements are in the report and they, they are extensive. They're like 10,000 plus feet in some certain cases. So we felt that a 10,000 foot extension would realistically from a financial perspective not be feasible at all realistically or the impacts would also be far greater because at that point you're I think also encroaching upon the interstate or to the north as well. So the probably total length of the runway after a completion? A after this? Yeah. Sixty three hundred feet. 63. So midway is sixty five twenty two. Correct. That was the number in my head that I thought we would go to. Since Southwest can bang them in all year round, it would make sense we could do it here. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So that's why I was asking the question. Oh okay. Okay. Yep. My that's all I had. Okay. Thanks. Anybody else? So the alternative in that situation is what they do now, which is land at twelve thousand feet in Topeka, and it, yeah, exactly. And, like, and the bus that picks them up goes to Topeka instead of to or Olathe or whatever. What's yeah. that? Or or mid or New Century. Yeah. You know. Okay. We got options. Are we ready for the next item? Okay. Think so. Okay. Oh, I hope you're ready. You know, I, I, <laughs> Better, but are you folks ready as well? Yeah. How about the master plan? Yeah, I, I do have a little introduction on the master plan. Okay, go. On a little staff report. Like yeah. All righty. Quickly go through before we turn it back over to. Sure. Yeah. Take a break. <laughs> Bring that up. So just a little bit of background here, and I might. Did you stop screen Sherry John? Absolutely. All right, I can. Yep. Yeah. There we go. Share the screen for the people online. All right. Uh, so just a little bit of background before we turn it back over to John. So if you recall, it was about this time last year that we had applied for funding for an update to our master plan through the AIP Kansas Airport Improvement uh, Grant funding. And we were awarded uh, those funds in February of this year. Um, KDOT Aviation uh, gave us an amount of uh, $400,000 for a master plan update. Also, you know, a uh, master plan update has been on our FAA CIP uh, improvement list, although uh, it hasn't been um, kind of a top five priority in, in terms of uh, the, our rankings of uh, priority projects. And if you also recall the um, Aviation Subcommittee uh, at their report on August 2nd also listed a, a, an update to the master plan as a priority. On September 19th, 
Uh, we did have uh, the contract with Garver on the City Commission agenda for approval, and that item was pulled for additional discussions uh, when uh, members of the public and uh, the governing body had some questions about that award. Um, so we decided to take a step back and uh, look at, uh, at the master plan a little bit further at the staff level and decided to bring this to the Aviation Board tonight for a recommendation. So that's what brings us here tonight. We are bringing uh, you guys uh, this presentation to make a recommendation to the governing body and our plan is to um, get that back on a city commission agenda on December 5th. Uh, the update, it was budgeted uh, in terms of the local share uh, in this year's uh, City of Lawrence uh, budget, which was uh, estimated to be about $40,000. I have attached um, John's presentation for tonight. And after the September 19th meeting, staff did have some meetings with Garver to further look at um, their rates uh, for uh, master plan work and uh, the costs regionally and nationally for what airports are paying these days for master plan work. And I've attached uh, a pretty in-depth response from Garver as to um, the cost for uh, those updates. And I feel like um, they've provided sufficient answers as to um, you know the rates and, and staff rates uh, in their project. And so I, I won't pull up that memo, but it is posted as part of the agenda materials. I also want to point out that Garver is under contract for this work. Um, we, we've received state of Kansas funds for that. We aren't required to go out and do consultant selection. Uh, Garver will be getting this contract. It's really just a matter of what the appropriate uh, fee is for this master plan update. The final thing I, uh, we need board feedback on tonight, um, Garver, in terms of their scope of work has identified how they traditionally scope uh, and conduct master plans around the country. Uh, they've recommended that we convene a group of community stakeholders. And so Clancy and Vice Chair Coleman and I have floated around the idea of uh, this kind of list. Garver had recommended kind of five to eight people as an ideal working group. And uh, we need your feedback and recommendation to the governing body on the stakeholder group. So we suggest a member of the aviation board possibly our vice chair, a chamber of commerce designee, uh, because the, the airport ha has a huge impact on our local budget and is an economic driver. Uh, we've got development proposals going on at the airport. We feel like that's an, an appropriate person to, to be a part of our stakeholder group. And some of our key employers out at the airport, a designee from Hetrick Air Services, a designee from Eurotech Vertical Flight Services, a designee from Dream Air. Certainly we want to have a designee from Lifestar as we, we know how important they are to the community. We know how important the University of Kansas is. And then it'd be great to have a, a local pilot or an airport tenant uh, as part of that group. So those are the two items we are asking for the board uh, to vote on and provide a recommendation on tonight, uh, provide us uh, some guidance on awarding Garver for uh, the master plan work, and then finally recommend a stakeholder group. So I will stop my screen share and John will give us a little presentation on the scope of work for a master plan. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. So, you know, like I said here, so my name is John Rostis, I'm a senior aviation planner with Garver, just for the record, <laughs> just the 
with a new topic here. So one thing I would like to kind of just start off with is, you know, why, why are we doing a master plan here? And there's a few key reasons. One, the FAA does recommend that you update your airport master plan approximately every 10 years. And your last, I think your current airport layout plan was last approved in, I believe, 2012. So uh, you're right around at that time frame, just from an FAA perspective on when this document needs to be updated. But a lot of things have changed in that last 10 years. Pardon me, since uh, your airport layout plan's last been approved, uh, there's been sweeping changes in airport uh, design standards. Like, uh, the, for example, what we've depicted here with that uh, taxiway Delta Alpha 3 reconfiguration, that's something that's new that's happened within the last few years. Uh, additionally, some of the safety setbacks have also changed during that time. So this is a good opportunity for us to evaluate the airport's existing capabilities to today's design standards as well. Uh, that's not to say that there is anything done incorrectly in your previous airport layout plan is just design standards change, federal regulations change, and as a result, this is the time to update that. Additionally, too, this is also a great opportunity because there is a lot of interest in the airport on a local and regional level. Uh, this gives us an opportunity to help the airport and the city and the community identify what the highest and best uses of that airport land are going to be. And then finally, as well, too, there's also a lot of emergent technologies and a lot of exciting things happening in the aviation industry. What can the city of Lawrence do with the airport to help make sure it has has the infrastructure in place to be able to adequately capture those changes in the aviation industry. I'm talking things like uh, new uh new sources of uh, aircraft propulsion, like electricity, hydrogen, things of that matter, or even things such as like the uh, EV tolls or UAS, UAM, which are basically unmanned aerial systems. How are those going to interface with Lawrence over the next 20 years? So that is really what we're going to be looking at doing and the why of the master plan. But what I want to do is get into the master plan and really set some kind of just baseline expectations of what the airport master plan does do and what it doesn't do as well. I feel I feel like that is something that's uh, you know, often overlooked at the start of a project. And it helps, I think, it's a good opportunity for us to help set a, that clear form of communication as to what we're looking to do and what things that people might generally assume with a master plan to occur that might not happen as a result of an airport-specific master plan. So we'll start off with what an airport master plan does. So as it states here, this is going to be a 20-year infrastructural development plan. So we are going to be looking holistically at the airport and the surrounding environment of what is needed uh, to basically bridge the airport from what it has today to where it needs to be 20 years in the future. And that will look extensively at your runway. That will look extensively at the taxiway system. That's going to look at the aprons. Uh, it's going to help identify what those changes might need to be and what the existing uh, ability of those facilities are to accommodate even today's traffic. But now one of the most important things of this here too is that this is also a collaborative planning process as well. This is something that really there's a lot of public engagement through this. There is um, a lot of stakeholder engagement as well too. And the reason being is that ultimately this document serves the city of Lawrence at the end of the day. It serves the people of the city and it's going to be a guiding document to help really bring the airport to really be what it should be to reflect the community that it serves. So as a result, we have a lot of collaboration with the community through this process as well too. This isn't just a Garver document. This isn't just me typing out a report and saying this is what you should do. This is really what does the city of Lawrence think the airport should be doing in the future. So 
Critically also here is going to be the updating of the airport layout plan for federal funding eligibility. So your airport layout plan is a graphical, conceptual depiction of the existing airport facilities and future airport facilities as well. Now this is what is going to be key about it is that for an airport to receive federal funding through the airport improvement program, one of the check boxes that's going to be on that grant application is, is this project on your airport layout plan? So for example, as has been mentioned this evening, uh, the extension of taxiway delta. If that's not shown on your airport layout plan, it's not eligible for federal funding. So that's what we want to make sure that we're doing, especially through this collaborative planning process with the stakeholders and the communities, making sure that we're able to capture where the community sees the airport going, what those infrastructural needs are going to be to make sure that we're able to help maximize your federal funding opportunities through this project as well. One thing I would like to point out too is that uh, while the Federal Aviation Administration is not participating in any funding of this project, we have scope this project to meet federal standards as well. They have a very outlined process of how an airport master plan must be conducted, and that's our intent to follow it to that standard as well. Uh, as a result, we've also engaged with the FAA's central region as well through scope of work review and to ensure that they are going to be an active stakeholder in this project, even though they are not a funding partner at this time. We want to make sure that no matter what, they already have a place at the table so they're able to understand where Lawrence is and where Lawrence is going. So with that, we get into some of the items of what the airport master plan doesn't do. So one, this does not guarantee that the development itself will occur. This does not obligate the federal government or the state of Kansas to actually fund any of the projects that are shown on your airport layout plan. Like I said, this is a checkbox you'll need to check to get that funding eventually, but there needs to be a lot of other things that go into the overall airport development process that extend beyond the airport master plan as well. One of those being environmental clearance for projects. So any project that receives federal funding is expected to adhere to the National Environmental Policy Act guidelines as well. We do consider, NEPA for short, so we do consider NEPA impacts as a result of any potential airport development, much like we did with a runway feasibility study where we looked at potential for environmental impacts as a result of the future development we've uh, recommended there. Uh, it's not your clearance though, just because we've evaluated it through that master plan. It's a consideration, but there still is documented environmental procedures that need to go through to ensure that you're able to meet that FAA requirement for funding as well. Also importantly here, this does not obligate the city for any funding as well of these projects. The way that the airport layout plan is set up is that if there are changes to the city's direction in the future, within that 10 to 20 year time frame as well, the, airport's not, or the city itself is not obligated to pay for any of those projects. Just because it is shown on the airport layout plan, much like the federal government has their out, the city also has an out as well too. So because it's just shown on there, doesn't mean that the, the city has the opportunity to change their mind in the future. So this isn't a be all end all, we've just signed away a bunch of money here and this is what we're stuck with. It is intended to be a flexible and uh, conceptual document to help guide the city as changes may occur in the future as well. Um, and then finally here, this does not provide any specific direction for any business or strategic planning as well. So this is things like uh, market plans, or like marketing plans, uh, like a rates and charges assessment. Uh, this isn't gonna be like, hey, this is a good way to attract uh, this type of operator to this airport. We'll take some understanding of what some of those potential operators may be and make sure that the infrastructure is in place to support where the city and the stakeholders view the direction of the airport going. But this isn't a, 
okay, here's a, a good way of advertising Lawrence to X, Y, and Z company to get them as a new tenant. That's a limitation of this study as well. So that's just kind of a high level of what we'll do and what we're not doing through this project. But I'll get a little bit into the overall process of the master plan itself as it aligns with the FAA's expectations for this project. So there's really three key phases to this project. There is the gathering data phase, there is the analyzation phase, and there's the planning phase. So these are all included in the scope of work here as well. But what we'll be able to do is first, when we start with a project initiation, this helps us understand just some of where the where the stakeholders in the community, what, what's their perception of the airport? Where do you as a community view the airport going? This is those public open houses uh, right at the onset of the project. This is that stakeholder meeting and that visioning session as well that helps us identify what are the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats for the Lawrence Regional Airport. This helps us as a consultant team understand what is the big picture for the airport in that 20-year time frame. Concurrent to that, we'll be doing inventory of airport assets as well. This is when we get out there, we put boots on the ground, we spend a lot of time at your airport going through, walking the airfield, and understanding what do you have as an airport today in terms of what facilities do you have? What's your runway length? What's your runway condition? What's your taxiway condition? Uh, how many hangars do you have? What are the conditions of those hangars? What are the useful life of your lighting and your navigational aids that are out here as well? This helps us identif identify clearly what the baseline condition of the airport is today. And then as a part of this as well, we'll also be developing an aviation, or a forecast of aviation demand as well. Now this is something that will be approved by the Federal Aviation Administration, and this helps us identify where is the airport going in 20 years? This will help us identify what your estimated total based aircraft are going to be, your total annual operations, uh, your number of takeoff and landings, pardon me, uh, will be for the airport and what types of new entrants to the airport uh, might be occurring. Additionally, this will help us identify if there's going to be any change in your critical aircraft. Uh, that is going to be the aircraft that drives the design standards for the airport. If there's going to be any monumental change in that, that might affect what our runway and taxiway design standards will be. So this will help us identify basically where is the airport going. So that's when we get into the analyze phase here. So that first part of that is our facility requirements section. That is basically the bridge of we know what you have, we know where you're going, what do you need to do to get there? This is going to be a series of unconstrained recommendations that are going to basically help us identify this is what the airport needs to do to meet the objectives that basically bridge that gap between inventory and forecast. Now, please note that I said unconstrained recommendations in there because that gets into the next part, which is the alternatives. This is basically what's your actual ability to meet those unconstrained recommendations. This is when we get into a lot of those factors such as environmental constructability, cost, uh, potential impacts for safety and operations as well. And then additionally too, just what's the overall community's appetite and perception towards those developmental objectives as well. Uh, that's, like I said, this is a community document. So we wanna make sure that uh, through this alternative process, the community has their input on this as well. So this basically helps us bridge the, and identify this is what can be done that realistically reflects the city of Lawrence's overall view for the airport. So at that point of the project, that helps us identify what the preferred airport layout 
and plan for development will be in the future. And that's when we get into the series of how are we going to accomplish this in the next 20 years. And that's where we get into the planning phase. So we'll be able to develop a capital improvement program, which is going to look at various funding sources that might be needed to accomplish those overall developmental objectives that we're going to be identifying in the alternatives. This also helps us identify the phasing of those projects in a manner that is going to be able to capture what your short medium and long-term needs are, and also making sure that aligns with the actual realities of federal funding and state funding are as well. We'll also be developing the airport layout plan as a part of this process as well, and that is, like I said, that graphical depiction of what the airport could look like in the future uh, in that critical FAA funding pool basically making sure that we're marking that checkbox so you guys can get federal funding for this in the future. And then finally, we're able to uh, kind of memorialize all of this and put that into the draft and final reports as well. Now, throughout this whole process, like I said, it's going to be a collaborative engagement through the state airport stakeholders, receiving that feedback and comment, and making sure that we're receiving comments <coughs> that help us ultimately drive this study towards what the city of Lawrence ultimately expects for its airport in the future. So that's just an overall breakdown of what we're looking to accomplish on an overall scope of work. I'm going to get into a little bit of our overall project feed. Now, as Scott had mentioned, the city had raised some questions over our initial proposed rates and fees for this project. And as a result, we were initially proposing a fee of $399,996. As such, we have gone back, we've sharpened our pencils, and we have been able to further reevaluate what our proposed rates for this project would be. And as a result, we've been able to reduce our project fee down to $380,011 of which 90% is going to be funded by the state of Kansas and 38,000 will be funded by uh, the city of Lawrence itself. Additionally, too, the way that this breaks down is that we also have two other sub-consultants that are on our uh, project team. Uh, their fee remained unchanged. Uh, we have a DBE firm, Solco Group, which is a former FAA regional uh, administrator. Uh, he helps us uh, craft our airport capital improvement program to really align with FAA expectations so we're able to make sure that that CIP portion of your document aligns right up to with what the FAA expects to make sure that you're able to capitalize on FAA uh, funding opportunities in the best way possible. And then NV5, they're our aeronautical surveyor as well. They're going to be flying over the airport and helping us capture what the existing obstructions are today. So the, their fees end up breaking out to about $12,000 and $85,000 and some change respectively with Garver completing the rest of the work at about approximately $282,000 as well. That's what we viewed for our overall project fee that we proposed to the city here as well. And what we did was we also made sure that our rates were still comparable to industry standards as well. So what we did was we looked at two other FY 2023 projects that we were able to get access to what their overall project rate structure was. And these are firms that, are, that have qualified airport planners, much like myself. Great folks, actually, too. All wonderful people across the board. But... Um, so what I've broken this down to are really identifying the key labor categories that would be working on the airport master plan for Lawrence, which includes our planning leader. That's my supervisor and who provides ultimate quality control and oversight of the project. Uh, from Garver's perspective, uh, myself, the senior aviation planner, and then a, a P1, which is an aviation planner. Uh, it's a young woman we have based out of Kansas City as well, who will be working on a lot of the day-to-day -day administration of this project. What we did is we looked at how these are going to line up specifically to our counterparts at other firms as well. So as you can see here, what I've also included here is what projects specifically these were included on. So for, uh, 
for us here, I use our rate that we're proposing here for Lawrence, Kansas, and the airport master plan. Uh, we also show a rate uh, for another competing firm for an airport master plan at Hobbs, New Mexico, which is a, a small non-hub commercial service airport in the eastern part of New Mexico. Uh, as you can see, their comparable rates to my supervisor is uh, $303 to $282 for what Garver is charging. Uh, for their comparable, comparable rate to my position, it's $279 an hour to $200. $153 an hour to myself. And then for our aviation planner position, it's a $166 an hour charge to a $161 an hour charge for a comparable position at Garver. We also did include another competing firm here out of Kansas City that uh, were their rates for the Hill City, Kansas airport layout plan update. Now you'll notice that their rates are uh, substantially lower than both uh, our comp number two competing firm and Garver here as well. And with this, you see rates that are at $276 and some change for their principal in charge, $202 an hour for a counterpart to me, and then an average planner rate of about $157 for uh, their entry-level planner position. Now, one thing to note that there is a sizable difference in the overall scope and scale of the project that they are working on, so it's likely that they're assigning a different staff classification to this. We wanted to be transparent in showing all of these numbers here, but understanding that there is a likely difference in the overall project that they're performing. Uh, with the airport master plan, that will include a document that's about uh, 250 pages in length. It was, will, will include a more comprehensive airport layout plan and the aeronautical survey as well. Uh, with Hill City, it's a approximately 15 to 20 page report and um, a much more abridged airport layout plan drawing set as well. So we did view that there's, from a complexity perspective, a little bit of a delta between what we're going to be doing here at Lawrence versus what they're doing at Hill City. But that was just an overall explanation and uh, just comparison of these rates as well. I won't provide it with any other further commentary. I'm a little biased myself. So, uh, but we did just want to make sure that that is being shared with you in a transparent manner. So thank you for sharpening your pencil. Absolutely. And uh, Greg, let, the, me, let me start at the other end. This oh, one. sorry. Okay. He's got a couple. I, I do, I do yeah. have one more slide as well, too. Please. Would you like me to wait? And, no, go right okay. ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, last one here, too, is we did want to just uh, do a sanity check on what our proposed fee for the airport master plan was as well and how that stacks up to other airports that are performing similar projects in uh, 2023 as well. So we have, I believe it's about 15 airports to a varying scale and capacity here as well. This does include the example of Hobbs, New Mexico, which is a non-hub commercial service airport. But some other qualifiers that we also included in here to help kind of just gauge what the overall level of activity these other airports are is we looked at their NIPIUS level. Uh, this is a classification system that basically helps determine that the FAA uses to is like, how busy are you? <laughs> how how busy is the airport, or, you know, and what role does it play in the overall national plan of integrated airport systems? So you start off with your highest level for that, which is a national airport. That would be comparable to like a Kansas City downtown airport. Uh, then the second tier below that is a regional airport, which is the classification Lawrence fits into. Uh, below that, there are local airports as well. They are. Um, I think we have a few examples that are listed here as well, but an airport like York, Nebraska, for example, uh, is listed as a local. And then there's finally basic. These are airports that are really serving more of a critical access for like air ambulance uh, type of operations, uh, minimal based aircraft. 
very limited infrastructure as well. We also uh, considered just the total number of based aircraft uh, that are actually at the airport itself. That's not a perfect metric of determining the complexity of an airport itself, but we did find that this is a good metric to help kind of just from a comparison perspective, how does the airport's master plan fee and complexity align with other similar projects as well. So as you can see here, uh, the two commercial service airports that we do have listed on here, uh, pardon me, uh, two primary commercial service airports we have listed on here, Columbia, Missouri, and Hobbs, New Mexico. Their project fees were in that about $700,000 range, just a you know, few thousand dollars below that. And then you start to see a range here in that uh, local and regional range going anywhere from uh, $300,000 to about $500,000 as well. So right now what we saw is that the way that this uh, is done, this is done in a descending order as well. Uh, our proposed three of $380,011, uh, kind of fit right around in the overall average. Um, it's kind of right in the middle there in terms of that. But it should be noted too that uh, from a complexity perspective, it is a regional airport as well, so that is gonna be viewed a little bit more complex than a local or a basic facility as well. So that was just uh, some additional information, like I said, kind of presented without additional commentary, but just for your visibility to see what some other comparable projects are this year as well. Uh, so that covers the bulk of my presentation. Okay. Any questions? Thank you. And uh, as Greg said, thank you for uh, sharpening the pencil. Happy to do it's it. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Okay. I'd like comments from the board. Um, David, would you like to start? Sure. No, I just appreciate the, the layout, especially the comparison uh, with other locations. And, you know, looking at that, you know, it seems to be, um, as best to my knowledge, comprehensive in nature and aligned in cost, uh, especially with the uh, reduction made. Um, so um, it seems reasonable on my end. Jim? No comment. Chris? No questions. Gary? I do have one question, um, and I don't know if this is the time to ask questions. I know you're going to do a motion. I will. But should go I, right if I have ahead. questions about the motion that you're going to make, should I wait until that? Or uh, depends on what your question is. Well, I, I guess it was more of maybe a procedural question, and Scott, this might be more for you. Sure. Um, I was just kind of going back to how you said how can we how we got here to even having to approve maybe this. Is this usually how this works? Is if I'm understanding the right from your background memo that you put together, this came in front of the commission on September 19th, and then they pulled it. Did they pull it to send it back to us to then vote on it to then send it to them, or is this usually how this process works? Again, just trying to make sure I understand what we're what our role is. No, in this, I guess that, that that's a great question, Carrie, and you know. Um, the other members of the board know that I've only been airport manager the last couple of years, and there, I would say in general, and, and, and Richard can correct me if I'm wrong, but not consistent practices in terms of what is brought to the aviation board and what isn't. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm trying to fix that, you know, uh, I, and I'd love to fix that. And so uh, one of the staff discussions was, let's wait go back to Garver and, and have a, uh, a discussion uh, about the rates so that we understand them more thoroughly. And that, that was actually helpful. Um, and in fact, city staff is probably starting to dive into more of our on-call engineering agreements to, to look at the rate structure and making sure that we're getting the most bang for our buck. Um, but no, the city commission actually 
on September 19th, wanted to put it back on the October 5th, I think, uh, agenda, um, if you go back and look at the video for that. But um, we, we thought, you know, with your upcoming meeting tonight, it makes sense to uh, let you guys weigh in and, and let you guys also provide those recommendations for this uh, stakeholder group, which, you know, uh, Clancy and Vice Chair Coleman and I had just um, been talking about when we get together on a monthly basis. But it makes a lot of sense for you guys to weigh in on those recommendations and then when we get that memo back to the city commission we'll put those stakeholder recommendations as part of that updated memo to the governing body as well okay uh greg do you want to go first or do you want to let Can i just answer talk? his question real quick and, okay. I, and I maybe have did, one more question that, about the, okay. that, that did very, very much so okay. I, mean, I was just was curious about how this process go. is supposed to work but one more question maybe about the stakeholder I mean, this might be more of a request for when we make this motion i know that I, I like the list that we've put together so far but i was curious on if we could expand the amount of aviation board members on it now i know that we can't all be on it because of meeting records and that type of stuff but is there a way that we could have two or three members on it instead of just one i don't know the answer to that do you have an um, answer for that i think so sure i mean you know it was just a recommendation from garver as to you know you don't want to have 20 people on a sure. on a working body uh you want it to be i think a manageable number but sure yeah exactly yeah, it's i mean it's 100 percent y'all's discretion on that on what you want to put okay. on there we can work with any group size there we just want to make sure that obviously it's just able to achieve consensus and we can't should have consensus and how to get there is we can't have more than three uh, or we'll <laughs> correct get into an open meeting yeah. uh, situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that, thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you. Greg, your turn. Okay. Um, well, one of the I did say I appreciated your sharpening the pencil. It didn't hurt that you did the airport feasibility study. So you've done some of that pre work. Um, mm -hmm. And what I was hoping is that when you do the master plan and seek the Im input from the city <clears throat> that you actually do some education because oh, yeah. much of the city is not going to know much about this airport because they drive to Kansas City uh, <laughs> and and that's where they get on big airplanes. Yeah, and, and that actually is something about how we like to uh, overall administer a public involvement process as well too, uh, especially in communities where it's served by General Aviation Airport. Uh, a lot of folks have a different perception versus the actual reality of what the airport is as well too. Uh, we want to make sure that we're educating the community on, you know, like I said, some of the limitations of what the airport master plan is, what the airport master plan actually will be able to accomplish, and what is actually happening out of the airport as well too. Okay. Um, so that those are going be really some kind of key things we're going to want to try to make sure that we're going to be uh, covering with. So as we're working with Scott, the city staff as well too, uh, we'll, we'll want to make sure that's uh, tailored specifically to what's going to be an effective message to convey to the city. Perfect. Because okay. you had mentioned no marketing and so I went, I got a little concerned. Yeah, yeah there's, absolutely. There's a perception in the city that isn't as good as it might be if we were going to want to grow the Next, airport. Next, over there. Sorry, this is Melissa Seaman, Director of Municipal Services and Operations. I just wanted to comment, um, size certainly, um, as our consultants can tell us, does matter on how, how um, easily they can be effective in their work. But um, I would not worry so much about the open meetings. I think these are probably things where people could sit in even if they weren't on the committee um, and actually listen to what's being said. Now, they would, you know, be asked to just sit and listen, but um, those that would be there, I mean, I, certainly there's no reason for them to be closed, closed door. 
Okay, thank you. Unless there's some reason I'm missing, but I think they can be definitely be open. I think that's beneficial for the education side that we've been also oh, kind yeah. of hearing go through this entire process tonight. I, and if I if I can also add to that too, there is no specific requirement that you can or can't do that as well too. It really is up to the discretion of the city. Garver as a team, we have worked with a variety of this met these methods as well oh, yeah. too. Uh, really, you know, we serve at your leisure. So whatever is most effective for the city and is most reflective of the city's uh, direction is going to be most beneficial for us as well. Thanks. I'm going to assume that somebody from the city is always going to be at one of these meetings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the only comments I have are we did prepare the um, Capital Improvements Committee of the Aviation Board a memo in um, July, and it was approved at the August meeting with the list of our priorities. Mm -hmm. Have you got that yet? And do we? how do we get that to you? I, I don't believe I have a copy of it, um, okay. but I would be happy to accept a copy of that for okay. additional review. We will make sure that you get one. And then there are a couple of other items that I think we need to add to it. There is apparently a... a uh, an, a previous uh, solar idea that was presented that I would like to throw into the mix. Mm -hmm. And we also have some some unleaded avgas transition issues that we might want to throw into the the fuel farm issues that we, we put in there. Yeah. So those are trivial things compared with accepting the overall plan. Yeah, absolutely. I want to make sure that they get on <clears throat> record someplace. Well, no, we certainly appreciate you sharing that with us as well. Those are definitely things that from a... Uh, an analysis perspective and a consideration perspective as a master plan, those are completely uh, fair game types of discussion okay. to have, and we would welcome any opportunity okay. to get that information earlier than later so we can incorporate uh, that into our- Happy to facilitate that. Fantastic, okay. thank you. Great. So, um, Greg. Can I make a motion that we recommend the uh, city commission approve proceeding with the master plan? Do I have a second? I'll second. Okay, Jim, second. Uh, I'll take a, a vote by person. Um, David? Uh, aye. Jim? Aye. Chris? Aye. Carrie? Aye. Greg? Aye. And me? Aye. It's votes unanimous to uh, proceed. And then uh, I think we need a motion on... Uh, a stakeholder group. Pardon? The stakeholder group. Uh, and the stakeholder like group. Uh, so. Direction on that. Yeah. Um, who would like to make the motion on that? The the uh, the, FA, the uh, aviation advisory board um, recommends that the stakeholder group for the it's called the project steering committee. Correct. correct. Okay. Um, is comprised of one or two members of the aviation board. One person from the Chamber of Commerce, one from Entrick Air Services, one from uh, Eurotech Vertical Flight Systems, one from Lifestar, KU, and one tenant, and obviously somebody from the city. Discussion? Sure. Um, based on your input, and if the city attorney said the same thing, I think you could go to three if you wanted it. Again, for open records purposes, it just requires, or, or open meetings, sorry, Cora versus Coma. Um, for Coma purposes, it only requires if there's more than three of you for us to have notice. As many so, as three then. As yeah, and so, okay. it, I mean, honestly, if, if one of you showed up to listen 
that would trigger open meetings. My deference would be um, if there are two or three of you on there, we're going to notice it anyway. I'd rather over notice than under notice on open meetings. So that's kind of where I'm at. So if you guys have an interest um, to attend one of these and, and only two or three of you are there, great. But we're going to go ahead and notice these anyway because I think that's the best way to handle it from a transparency perspective. What's the frequency on these meetings? There's going to be, you can, uh, John can Yeah, absolutely. That so for the actual steering, uh, like the project steering committee itself, I believe, uh, and I don't have the actual scope of work in front of me at the moment, but you're looking at about maybe like three or four meetings total. The, the, the scope says six, maybe, maybe, and then, yep. then one day to do all the assessment at the airport and so forth. Correct. Yep. So, so uh, yeah, about up to six meetings. Then yeah. uh, that we'd be in a week and a month. And uh, no, over about an eighteen-month span. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So yeah, your overall project duration, you're looking at an estimated eighteen to twenty-four months for the airport master plan. Okay. So Scott, let me ask you this question: Do we now get a ask for a motion to do this, and then at the next meeting we present the slate and get that approved, or what do we? How do we do this? Well, I, I think you have everybody here except for Tiffany Hall. Uh, I think you can. Uh, you're we're in a position to move forward uh, at the December meeting on the Garver contract. So, if you want to discuss it now, that would be great. In terms of your appointments, are we going to prove so, what you just read out loud? Yeah. Okay. The motion is that we have appoint to the stakeholders um, project steering committee for the master plan. Two, up to three. Up to three aviation advisory board members, one person from the Chamber of Commerce, not Tiffany Hall, right? Who is also on the aviation board. One person from Hetrick, one person from Eurotech, one from LifeStar, one from KU, one of a tenant, and obviously the city will be attending. Do I have a second? One more question for discussion. Yes. So, does it? Do we need to give the specific names, or can it be up to three and it can be alternated? Because that way we'd all get to participate if we wanted. Yes. Well, well, sorry, I was going. You could. I, I would say that I would defer to Garver on their preference. I think there's some continuity that comes with the same people being there. Um, that's why I'm saying we go ahead and notice them. If you want to come and listen, because you you got time or the topic that's going to be particularly covered at that um, event is going to be of interest to you because of background that you have, great. But um, I don't, I, I think if you would please call out the three of you that you're assuming are going to always be there, that will be helpful. Um, and then um, beyond that, anybody else can attend and certainly um, in here, if we wanna have conversations afterwards, we can. Um, again, open records, open meetings are important, so. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, one other thing to note too as well is that we do provide draft deliverables throughout the report as well and those are available for anyone's review. They are public documents so if there are any like folks who want to do actual document review, review you know, much like we did here with the runway feasibility study, uh, to review those, provide comment, uh, those can be just submitted back to us at any time as well too. So I think you know, to the point of like having a rotating group, it might be a little uh, tricky just if you know, we have some, you know, continuity issues, like right. Melissa had mentioned, but there are opportunities for everyone, including the overall general public, to have an opportunity to review all of the draft deliverables that we're producing as a result of this yeah, project. And the whole board would, I'd, I'd withdraw that. Withdraw what? That, that opportunity to okay. rotate. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, um, 
first let's get this motion out of the way. Do we agree that we want to set up this um, the appointments to the steering committee? A motion that we do a steering committee as stated by. Okay, that's Jim. I'll second the motion. And Chris second, all right. Then what I'd like to do after that, after we vote on this is if there are people who want to be on it, let's get them named and get it going on that. Okay, all in favor of the steering committee um, say, okay, let's start with David. Aye. 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 Unanimous. Okay, who wants to be on the committee? I know Chris will do it. Everybody's like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Who else wants to do it? And David, I believe, is will put you on for the KU person. We've talked previously that you might be eligible for that. I will volunteer. Okay, Jim. Yeah. And Chris. Any other board member? I'll volunteer. Okay, Carrie. You three are going to go to meetings. Okay. And I do have one volunteer in the audience that I know about, Greg. Uh, Tillman for the tenant potential. Are you still willing, Doug? I'm sorry, Doug. I'm sorry. Are you still willing? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Clancy, <laughs> <laughs> I just have one question. With David being on there and three other board members on there, won't that be four board members, even those that can't represent It won't matter, though, because we're listing it as a meeting, right? I think, as Melissa said, we'll, we'll notice these and we'll, we'll publish. Publish them and what will be covered that way. Okay. And I think the goal here is that they're representative voices of different constituencies. And so, you know, I, I, I'm hoping Garver's looked at um, what we've uh, been looking at. And, and if you could comment on trying to make sure we have uh, a distribution of um, different constituencies as we're looking at this. Yeah, just in my professional opinion from the list that I've reviewed for the overall group that's uh, proposed, I, I think it's a really well-balanced representation of the community, uh, understanding that, like I said, th these are a community document. Um, I, I personally was pretty excited to see that level of engagement. So I think it's going to create a very quality document that's going to reflect the city well. My next question then is, um, Lloyd, do you want to nominate somebody from Hetrick? And Chad and Tina, do you want to nominate somebody from Eurotech tonight? Or do you want to? I think staff can work with them uh, okay. after the meeting to okay. find their nominees. <laughs> OK, because we have other, a couple others we'll have to do too. OK. Those are the ones then so far. OK. All right. Thank you, John. Uh, Thank you. Anything else? Thank you, John. Next, Lloyd, it's your turn, finally, for the FBO report. Uh, Lloyd Hetrick with Hetrick Air Service. Uh, I don't know that I have a lot to add to it. I would like to say why there, we were talking about the apron space. Uh, we really need to look at that apron that we have. I've got well knows uh, if it pours down, we can't even get our customers to walk into the terminal building. We got a river right there on the north side of the terminal, and it is very embarrassing when they can't bring their suitcases and walk into the terminal building. So I, I'd like to see that high on the list, see, see if we can't get that accomplished as well. 
Uh, terminal's looking great. We're almost there. Furniture will make a big difference, I know. Uh, because of all the improvements on the outside area, we we were forced to do our our area, so we just got it all painted, and they actually got carpet laid today, so it will help improve that overall. So, if you don't have any questions, I think that's all I... Anybody have questions? How's your usage so far? Are you seeing strong fuel sales till this point, or... How's our what? How's your fuel, like your fuel usage, your pumpage? Volume, well, we obviously with the ball game traffic is, is the big key, uh, but we're seeing a constant flow of net jets, uh, up gear up, all of those are pretty solid coming in here. So yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Others? Okay. Um, next is board items. Um, I guess, Scott, are you wanna, ready to talk about the uh, CIP for KDOT, uh, airport improvement stuff? Um, sure. So the first board item is the Capital Improvement Subcommittee report. I did work with um, the CIP group on projects to identify for the next year's round of KIP grants, and those were due yesterday. So, um, you know, this program, again, is, is great for funding projects that will never make the FAA cut. <laughs> you know, the, the master plan work that Garver's been talking about tonight, and even this feasibility study would have never been funded by FAA. We would have had to beg and, and scream. You know, FAA right now with the, the and Jason's nodding because of the, the scope of the current um, airport improvement program, there's just not enough money there. And, and uh, you know, that program is going through reauthorization right now at the congressional level, and we hope that uh, at least in the drafts that we've seen, more money will be put into that program. But this program with KDOT fills those gaps. And so those are the, um, the projects you, that we have listed here uh, have were identified it? as being things that, you know, we'll never get money out of FAA on. So great projects to apply for uh, KIP funding on. Uh, so this past fall, I think in August, I identified that we were working with the University of Kansas because they were laying fiber to the KU hangar out there. We got really solid cost estimates uh, working with our GIS staff and the University of Kansas contractor. Um, we got numbers back that we just didn't have the budget to do this year. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to uh, apply for uh, funding through this program to bring fiber to the west side of the airport and to the terminal. Uh, on the terminal side, we already have that designed as part of the uh, terminal improvements uh, package that we already put together last year. So we, we've already got that designed. So hopefully we'll get some funding for that. Can you share it? Oh, yes, sorry. Okay. Sorry, guys, online. Got to do that again. Thank you, Greg. You bet. Uh, same thing with the uh, expansion of long-term parking area. We applied for bill funding for that. Um, you know, we haven't been successful in, in the second round. If we don't get that funding, again, uh, we've already got it designed. So, I mean, it's sitting on the shelf. It's ready to bid. And we know that we have some parking needs out at the airport uh, several times this fall with just the... Uh, 
traffic going in and out at the airport, especially some of the, well, Lloyd knows, university teams that fly in and out, or parking's in high demand out there. So um, we've already got those project plans done. If we could get some funding uh, to go ahead and build that out that we already have designed, that would be great. Okay. Um, our airport mowing equipment needs to be replaced. We need a place to put it. Um, this was another project that I kind of started to work on when I became airport manager. I did commission an appraisal of the Don's Diesel Building because it's a non-aviation business operating at our airport. Uh, their lease expired a number of years ago, so there is provisions in the lease to uh, purchase that hangar uh, at the end of the lease term. No one's ever worked on that. If we could get some funding to acquire that building, I feel like that would be a, a good spot uh, to house our maintenance equipment and then maybe a little bit of money to uh, do some uh, small renovations for it. Um, the next project was kind of identified during this current uh, T-hanger project. There's a short area of taxiway uh, at the north end of the T-hangers that connects the apron to taxiway D um, that you know needs a fix. And so another great project for KIP funding. So there's two grant applications there, one for design, one for construction. And finally, we got to talking about the need for you know administrative space at the airport. If we you know eventually have staff out there, uh, you know we've had some great events out there. You know I, I think that uh, another community hangar is needed, uh, and so we applied for at least funding to uh, put a design application together uh, uh, for that. You know there's lots of places to to locate another community hangar at the airport. So those were the grant applications that we turned in yesterday. Okay, thanks, Scott. And I will say that um, through various methodologies, the CIP committee reviewed all of this and strongly recommended that we go with all of it. So I would like a further confirmation by the board on that so that Scott can either reconfirm them or do whatever he needs to do that he hasn't already done. So may I have a motion to confirm these KIP um, applications? I would make motion that we approve. Okay. Chris made the motion. May I have a second? Let's see. I'll, I'll second it. This Harry, yeah. seconds. Okay. Greg, are you in, all in favor? Are you in favor? Yes. Aye. Aye. Harry? Aye. Aye. Chris? Aye. Aye. David? Aye. Okay. Unanimous. Okay. Thank you. Okay, um, the next item is marketing and events subcommittee report and um, Tiffany has written up a couple of things. I don't think I really need to go over them, but um, if anybody's got questions, the main things we need to be concerned with right now, and I will address this in the final item that we have on scheduling, is that we need um, some leadership on the aviation youth camp, who's in charge. And um, we have some uh, other things that, that may be going on at the airport, like an open house down the road. So I don't know, Jim, have you and, and Chris have anything that you want to comment on besides what Tiffany wrote? No. Okay. Can you guys get together with her and figure out who's doing some of this stuff? <laughs> and let us know. We'll work on that. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, Scott, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, there was an update in one of Tiffany's notes. You guys had met with folks at the University of Kansas. Oh, yeah. A fiberglass Jayhawk. Uh, we oh, have yeah. been in contact with the uh, Alumni Association that has possession of those things. And uh, there are some available. And the problem is they, they need one painted. Uh, and so uh, they, they've had a problem with their, their painter, and we reached out to, to Mr. Decker, and hopefully we can get one painted and uh, get it located at the airport. That's cool. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, the next item is the City Boards and Commission Structures Committee. And as Scott alluded earlier, I spent probably most of my time since August talking to various people in the city about this. Um, what I would like to do tonight is relate to everybody that the Aviation Advisory Board, in case you're unaware, will remain independent. It will be under the connected, or is currently recommended by the BCSC to be under the connected city. Um, I believe personally that it should be under the prosperity and economic development aegis with the city. So probably I will need to go in front of the city council one more time or I need to write a letter to them stating the board's position on what it is we want to do. So I'd like some discussion on what you would like to do uh, at this point. Um, somebody start. Greg? <clears throat> well, you know that I wrote a letter and sent it to everybody. I do. About um, maintaining an, an independent board. Um, I'm, as long as we maintain an independent board, I don't really care that much whether it's under Connected City or the Prosperity, which is economic development. Okay. I think the airport in the future is going to be, be a big contributor to the uh, economic activity. The, the second thing I may be asking the board to do tonight is to uh, make a recommendation to the city commission that the city explore the possibility of transitioning the aviation board to an airport authority. I know that there are serious complications in terms of Kansas state law and so forth, but it has been done before, and if that's the right way to go, we probably need to explore the possibility. Well, and that's why I asked John to include the mm -hmm. review of it in exactly. the master plan. Exactly. I did and there, there are good, there's good documentation from the um, uh, National Science Foundation and so forth that has, or Academy, National Academy of Sciences that has research on these topics. Yeah, too. I think there was a PhD mm -hmm. thesis and stuff There's that and it. there's also uh, other documentation. Yep. So. It's, if we're going to really go a long way with the airport, it probably does need to be. Given what we've been dealing with tonight and what we have yet to deal with, I think that probably is the right direction, but it's going to take some time. Okay, other comment, Kerry? No comment, just that I agree with everything you just said. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dang. Chris? Uh, no other questions? Jim? As far as the way that the city sees us, is there any economic or any value that would be different in which bucket we're in? I don't know. I don't know. It's a strategic planning issue. So do you guys... 
I'm looking at the city link. Yeah, Melissa might have some the, thoughts. The, or Angela on that. Angela or Melissa. So as far as which outcome within the strategic plan that you're assigned to, if your concern is about the separate function of this board, I don't know at the end of the day that it that it matters. Okay. Um, Connected City is the outcome that I currently champion um, with my team of outcome people <laughs> for Connected Cities, um, and that is multi-different departments um, and trying to, you know, work forward on transportation, transit, and utilities, and anything that helps you move or stay safe when you drink or use the water. Um, so. I, I don't know that that's a bad place for it to be um, on the economic development side. I think the master plan is um, going to be really important in the data that Scott's going to start to carry. So we will cross over um, into commitments in different ways. So if you stay under Connected City, I don't think that okay. is a bad thing. Um, economic prosperity, which is led up by our economic development team, um, Britt Crumcano uh, is the individual there. Um, we've been talking, working, we're working on key performance indicators, which um, we'll probably bring back to you here in the next few months to look at and, and see how we think that we might want to measure okay. our success or lack of movement towards success. And a lot of that will be driven by what's done with the master plan. And so we'll be looking at that and helping also inform um, what we're going to be tracking to share with the governing body, meaning the city commission, um, and be able to allow them to see um, what we're achieving. So okay, I don't know that it matters um, that, as that much as your job. separate governance is what you're concerned yeah. about. That, make, that makes a difference to my thinking. Especially too. because she's watching out and basically advocating. So, Well, and watching what we're doing, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> OK. David, did you have anything you wanted to say? Uh, no comments. OK. Uh, in that case, um, I guess what I, I, I think I've already been authorized by the board in, in August to talk to the city commission about um, anything that is related to this. And I think if uh, I will be happy to do that to the city commission if, if I need to. So I don't think I need any further authorization. So as long as we're going to remain independent, I think we're in good shape. Okay. Any any difference? Any difference of opinion? Okay. And here is the difficult. Uh, well, I guess I need to go to the four states. Greg and Carrie, do you guys have anything else you want to add to what you've already said about the four states? Well, four states. I actually wrote something up and sent it right. to Scott. I posted uh, it, Greg. It's posted. Oh. oh, okay. So if any, if everybody has read it and has any other questions, fine. I was really happy to hear that you'd gone with the tracking system. I had no idea. I was. <laughs> I like to that. be fair. I did not find the tracking system. I believe someone came to Scott and um, Scott and Britt discussed it and um, brought it forward to Angela and I. So um, our airport manager is out there working for you guys. <laughs> we know he is. We should pay him to be an airport manager. So is, <laughs> yeah. Is it you the have same? a vote on that. <laughs> Scott, is it the same company? Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, perfect. Okay, and the next to the last item, you guys, we have to meet more often. 
Can I have some discussion on this? I think we should meet at least 12 times a year. <laughs> but well, I don't, I'm not sure I can get that through. I, th I think if you set it up as a monthly meeting but allow it to be canceled if you don't have significant things to discuss, that's a good way to go. But having 583 pages of documents for one meeting is it's, pretty overwhelming. It's killer, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Carrie. I would advocate for bi-monthly. It is, it's tough for me personally with scheduling. So okay. it's hard, four days a year shouldn't be hard, but it's hard for me somehow. Okay. So um, bi-monthly would be uh, the most I would be able to commit to okay. without having significant misses. And I like being a part of the board, so it's, Exactly. Okay. David, do you have comment? Yeah, I would support bi-monthly as well for similar reasons. Chris? Um, you know, I've appreciated our, our monthly meetings with Scott. When, mm -hmm. when I um, meet with Scott, that helps us stay on board with what's happening. Um, more frequent would be my first choice, but I understand we have, you know, we've got board members that have challenges trying to make that many meetings. Sure. Um, you know, I could support bi-monthly. So. Okay. I'm on five boards. I could support bi-monthly okay. also. Uh, well, it looks like yeah, I'm, we have a vote here. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with bi-monthly as well. Okay. Is that starting next year? Uh, it may be starting sooner than that with we've got the two things. Well, the special ones, I don't mind. It's just, yeah, I just want to... Yeah, we're setting the schedule for 2024. 2024. Okay. But we're probably going to have two special meetings before then, I hope. Okay. Okay. Okay, do I have a motion to go to bi monthly meetings? So moved. Greg, do I have a second? I'll, I'll second. Okay, Carrie. Uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Clancy, you're going to look at your calendars for scheduling uh, the yeah. items we deferred tonight? Uh, yes. Um, let's do that. Uh, the bi-monthly bi bi schedule is on the agenda. So those are the dates we'll go with? Those will be the dates we go with on that. And shall we look at schedule for both Eurotech and Dreamair tonight? Can we do that? Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> okay. Shall we do that right now? I mean, do they have dates to propose to us or? Uh, part of the question is when this room is available. And I can't determine that from what I saw on the Probably 9 o'clock tonight would be good. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Scott, how do we determine this? Do we well, I've pulled up the December calendar for events that are listed. Um, I, I think that's a good place to start. Do you, I, I think you don't think we can? bigger boards. I mean, we're, we're, our meeting wasn't on tonight's calendar. No. I don't know why. That was, was what I discovered. But I think this is fairly trustworthy. Do we want to try anything in November at all? Yes. Chad, I'm Tina? in for November. I would say from a staff perspective, if you're ex expecting some staff feedback on, yeah. on these proposals, uh, that would be a challenge. Okay. Well, let's look at December. Everybody pull out your calendar. <laughs> Let me get that pulled up again. There's December's calendar. You're talking at the same time, right? 
I don't know. Oh, and you don't have to. You know, it stick can be with in the, the day, Wednesday. It it's anytime. really what okay. um, the applicants can get to, and the board can okay. get to. And now that we have uh, you all together, it's probably a good time to yeah. get those scheduled. Okay. I don't think the last two weeks of December would probably be very good. No, <laughs> let's look at the first two weeks of December. Uh, okay. How about Ted and Tina? Have you got anything? A date in mind? How about December 7th? Second week, <laughs> second week of December? First, week, first or second, either one. December 7th? It's a Thursday night? We have a board of zoning. I got the calendar up here, Jim. There's board of zoning appeals from 6.30 to 8.30. It doesn't mean you couldn't meet earlier in the afternoon. Do we want to meet earlier? In the, can you? I'm okay with earlier. Okay. Is everybody else okay with I'll have earlier? to zoom in, but I can meet. Okay. Okay. What would be a good time? How long do you guys... What time does uh, that start? What day? December 7th, this room is booked for the Board of Zoning Appeals if they have items on their agenda from 6.30 to 8.30. 6.30 to 8.30. Afternoon, December How long do you, do you guys need? Calendars. <laughs> <laughs> How about like four o'clock? Would four o'clock to six o'clock do the job? Yeah. I will. Okay. I will note that there is um, an EDC investor update um, that probably a few people might be invited to. Tiffany being one of them. And that's on the seventh. Yes, at four p.m. Do we need to look at another day? I mean, how many people do you, I mean, Tiffany. What's the 5th? Yeah, I was going to throw out the 5th, too. That's, What's the 5th? What's happening on the 5th? City commission meeting nights are yeah, generally not good. Nah. We do open bids. All right, I think we're more important. Bid, bids in here that afternoon as well. <laughs> I may have to the be fourth. there anyway. Just keep, um, <laughs> what about the 4th? She says the 7th would still work. Okay. The 7th would still work? Mm-hmm. Okay. The fourth would be better for me, but I can make the seventh work. You know who plays on the fourth? No. Oh, no, that's actually Sunday night, isn't it? I think it's Monday. No, no it's, it's a Monday. 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 No, no, I meant there's a night game for Packers and Chiefs. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mon that Monday? No, I thought it was a Monday. Uh -oh. oh, okay. I was saying, I okay. they played Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Would the fourth work for everybody? Is the room open, Scott? Sorry, I can't. Uh, there's nothing on the calendar. What time do we want to do it? I think the afternoon's better. Or whatever. I've, four I'm to six? I can make the fourth work. Does that work with? Kind of like four o'clock. Does that work with you guys, the fourth? Oh, it's on the fourth now. Well, we're, we're trying to get consensus here. Talking about it. Four to six on the fourth. Does that work for? Yeah. David, does that work for you? Yep, no issues. Okay. Shall we establish four to six on December 4th for Eurotech's presentation? Okay. And then your plan is to have another special meeting to yes. consider the Dream Air proposal? Yes. Now we need to work on that. Yes. You're next. For a different week? Up about to you. Seven, about the seventh. <laughs> so, so that so the old old people don't forget what happened the, the two days before, you know. So, Chad, you're going on the fourth. Is that right? Fourth. It sounds like. Given, yeah. Given the scheduling conflicts, I heard is I'm just a question. Is there anything 
that would prevent doing the proposals back to back. So a suggestion yeah. might be that you do them on the 4th, you have a gap in between, we bring in dinner, and then you come back and you That'd do the second me. one. That work for everybody else. Sold. Do them both on the 4th? Yeah. I heard dinner. Yeah. <laughs> David, does that work for you? The 4th if we do them both? Yes, it does. Okay. Start earlier in the day then? Do you want to start earlier? Start at 4. Yeah. At three. Start at three. Does that work for everybody? Like th three to five, and then a break for dinner. Yep. So then the question is: Do we need two hours for each presentation, or do we need more like an hour? An hour with with an hour with thirty minutes for questions, if or something yeah. to that effect. Yeah, no more than two hours. So. Okay. Okay, you don't need more than two, and that includes questions and all that? Yeah. Okay. Jen? That's fine. Okay, so start at three. Is that right? Or do you want to start at four? Up to you guys. No, I wouldn't want to start earlier because, in my mind, if there's anything conflicting between the two, we want to be able to ask them both. Okay, the three o'clock. And both of, them, both of you guys will be around, okay? And start at three. Go to your tech proposal, and then a little break for dinner. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh huh. And, uh, and then, the then we'll go to Dream Aviation. Six. Six. Okay. Okay, so three to five or so for Eurotech, six to seven plus whatever for Dream Aviation and a break for dinner. Does that work for everybody? Okay, we got it. If there is no other business tonight, do I have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Greg? I'll second. Chris, all in favor? Aye. 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 I stand adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Thank we you very much. <laughs> we did. Yes, there's another one for you. Oh, sorry.